warning. Pop culture leftovers might not be suitable for people who can't handle insane amounts of profanity, so you might want to fuck off. Pop culture leftovers might take its time getting around to its advertised content as well. If this is a huge problem for you, then you too can fuck off. Pop culture leftovers typically has a long run time as well. If you can't handle a four to six hour podcast, then you probably won't like us, and you too can join the aforementioned cock thistles and fuck off altogether in unison. Others who may not be able to handle pop culture leftovers include children under the age of 14, if you regularly listen to NPR, are a pregnant woman that has spent most of your first, second, and third trimester looking at stupid shit on both Etsy and Pinterest, if you tuck in your t-shirts, if you use a Bluetooth headset in public, if you go to motivational speaking seminars, if you have life goals, if you have self-respect, if you have a heart condition, if you're a huge pussy, if you're a huge pussy with a heart condition, or if your name is Melvin, TFS706, or TJ Lamb. Everyone else, please enjoy. Episode 447. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat, but it's all been done before. We don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. Dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Good it, toss it, good it, do we love it? Hey, let's mix it, hate erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture, pushover, pop culture. Leftovers. Uncool kids. What's to say's already been said. Leftovers. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers. Hey, this is Hall of Famer Dominique Wilkins, and you listen to Pop Culture Leftovers. Hey, welcome to Pop Culture Leftovers, the only podcast that sounds even better the second day after it's been uploaded. I'm Brian, and I'm a leftover, and Jake is not with us this week. He will return next week, but I am joined by Joe Stark from Starkcast Podcast. Welcome, Joe! Hey, stoked to be here. Do did you like my energy there? It was it was very high energy. You were really bringing it. I'm hoping Jake listens to this episode. Takes note. <laughs> <laughs> now, there are a lot of podcasts where the host just berates the uh, co-host on their energy level at the beginning of, a, of an episode. <laughs> yeah, within the first 30 seconds, yeah, probably not. <laughs> not a lot. Is it just me? <laughs> It's a uniquely PCL flavor, I think. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway. And we're also joined by Dre Moore from Podcast Championship Wrestling. Welcome, Dre. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. Ah, shit. I had a story. I don't have it pulled up. I was going to talk about it. I was going to ask you guys what you thought about this one. Let me see if I... You you guys want to vamp... I want to get your vamping skills while I look this up. Guys, you guys vamp. <laughs> Let me hear your vamping skills. Let's see. Let's see how good you guys are at vamping while I look up this article. <laughs> I hear the word vamp and the first thing that comes to mind is that movie from the 80s. There's a movie from the 80s called Vamp? Yeah, Elaborate. Was, I don't yeah, remember it. It was some one of those cheesy vampire movies from the 80s, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> oh, that sounds fun. Was there any names in it? Ooh, I could not tell you. I'd have to look it up real quick. I just remember I remember the name, and I think I remember the cover of the box art just said Vamp, and the V and the P were like made to look like fangs. I think they may have been a drop of blood. All Let me right. see if I you, can find anybody. You guys are done vamping, please. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> spare, spare us all. 
I thought it was really going somewhere at the beginning. I was impressed by fucking Dre saying, yeah, you know, the word vamp. And then I thought you were actually going to get into the vamp movie. Uh, what, you know, what it was about. And then it was like, like I slightly recall the box art. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe this movie was just a fever dream. I don't know. But oh, uh, no, it existed. Grace Jones was in it. Grace Jones. No shit. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, listen to this. I, before we jump into good pop, bad pop, all that shit that we do every week. Listen to this story. Uh, this I got this from People magazine. Uh, New Hampshire man finds wife's lost wedding rings in 20 tons of trash. Uh, here we go. Thanks to a salary stock. Let's, let's see here. A stock of salary helped the New Hampshire man find the wedding rings he accidentally threw away last week among 20 tons of trash. Kevin Butler of Wyndham lost the rings on Wednesday after tossing out a napkin that they'd been placed in after they were cleaned. Butler was unaware that his wife had put her rings in the napkin to dry and only realized they were missing after he took the trash to a local transfer station. That's bullshit. You got to drive your trash to a local transfer station? No shit. God. (laughs) So he returned to the site and asked for help. He said, I'm pretty sure I threw the rings out. Transfer, sta- transfer station supervisor Dennis Senabaldi said Tuesday. Sure enough, Butler had done just that, but he was able to recover them with the workers' assistance and a lot of luck. Senabaldi and his coworkers used surveillance footage of Butler's trip to the transfer station to determine the best spot to dig through the 20 tons of trash per the reports. These were like these rings were thousands of dollars. Thousands of dollars these rings cost. And these men went through and uh, went through piles of trash and found these rings for this guy. What do you think this guy did to, to, say, to say thank you? Offered like, up his free butler services on the on his days off. <laughs> he he good. invited them over to his home for a screening of Vamp. Um, <laughs> he uh, listen to this shit. He treated the staff to pizza. <laughs> the corporate thank you. <laughs> no shit, man. That's like like when you hate your job and like. Corporate knows that you hate your job and you've all been complaining and overworked. What do they do? Pizza party. Oh, it's the lowest rung of of the appreciation gifts. It's like we've all been knocking it out of the park. You've been hitting record numbers all year. We're going to reward you all with a pizza party. You do a quick count around the offense. Okay, that's that's five pizzas divided by 10 people. Hey, thank you for the three dollar (laughs) bonus. And of course they get it at fucking – you know, uh, Little Caesars, you know, $5 hot and ready. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's basically it's just like good pizza. Yeah, it's just like bread and ketchup, some cheese splashed on there. God damn. <laughs> what a joke. What a fucking joke. I mean, I don't know. I I don't know. What, what, what would have been better? What would have been better? Anything? I don't know, man. I don't know. Pizza. And you're not considering like, you know – People that are on a diet, maybe. 
It's like, what the, yeah, oh yeah, I'm on a diet. I'm not, or I'm fucking allergic, allergic to gluten or something, you know? Yeah. Nothing says thank you to complete strangers like cash. There you go. Exactly. I don't know how many guys they had working on it, but you know, maybe like a gift card or something somewhere, you know, the, the rings cost thousands of dollars. I don't know. Here's a, you know, the shit's fucking tough for people right now. Like, you know, fucking groceries. Like I was looking at, I was online and I was looking at, um, somebody's, uh, Aldi bill from, um, yes, I'm, I'm on Reddit and I'm subscribed to the Aldi subreddit. Fuck you. Yes, it's true. Anyway. (laughs) Of course there's an Aldi subreddit. I love it. Yeah. And I'm on it. I joined it, Joe. (laughs) God damn. What's (laughs) up? Talk shit about the guys in the little subreddit what's that do they talk shit about the people in the little subreddit what's that little yeah like the other aldi i don't i'm not from i'm not familiar with little i've never heard of it before either must not be in the midwest yeah i think we've got them around here i think we have one store that's an aldi and another one that's a little and i believe they're essentially the same thing okay no i'm not familiar uh, that that joke was regional to some. <laughs> uh, oh, what was I saying? No, they were like, look at the price of groceries. They showed this huge like like laundry list of like items on this bill, and Joe, it came to like you know thirty eight bucks. Like that same fucking all these order now is well over a hundred bucks easily. Oh. Yeah, I'd believe it. It's the price of groceries is just it's gotten really, really insane. Yeah. Buy give these people a fucking like gift gift card to, to buy some groceries. It's ridiculous. Right, this this episode's terrible already. I hate this episode, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about an Aldi subreddit. Uh it, Dre brings up Lidl's. We have no idea what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> And then, yeah, apparently I'm over two. So (laughs) (laughs) I googled it. Lidl's are apparently huge in the European Union. So, so that joke was crushing in Europe. Oh shit! (laughs) (laughs) But they're probably like, "What the fuck is an Aldi?" Yeah, like they don't understand the first part of it at all. In order to understand any of what we're talking about, people have to go to Wikipedia and look up Aldi and then Lidl. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, this this fucker gave him pizza. I don't know. Do you guys think that that's not fair, right? That's kind of – I don't know. These guys busting their ass in trash. In trash. Digging through garbage for, for, for just – for for only to help a fellow human being. I mean, granted, I guess pizza's better than nothing. But yeah. it's like, dude, you could have done better. They dug through trash. Yeah. As, assuming with their with their fucking hands. Even if you got gloves on, digging through trash is gross. Yeah. I mean, my first thought went to the butler in the sense of how well does your job have to pay that you're willing to drive to the freaking trash heap and ask other guys to help you find rings because you lost them? I feel like if I was the butler and I lost the rings, I might have just said, fuck it. I'm getting fired today. He's not a he's not a butler. His last name is Butler. 
Oh, his last name was Butler. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> this episode's so terrible. We've like you've 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 concocted this whole story about a butler. <laughs> I swear, I thought he was a butler. I'm thinking these are rich people problems. Like, you must help me. I threw away Madame's rings. Oh fuck! It's like that'd be like Alfred throwing away like Batman's like shark repellent or something. <laughs> he throws out Martha's pearls. Yeah, Martha's pearls. <laughs> I'm digging through the Gotham trash heap. Hey, he pulls up to the tr- to the freaking landfill in some 1930s Lincoln car and shit. <laughs> got his white Pops out with on. his top hat and his white gloves and a bow tie. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, gentlemen. They, they, They've lost some property. He's got he's <laughs> he's got like spoiled eggs and spoiled food like hanging off of him. He's like, Master Bruce, I can't find the pals. <laughs> <laughs> oh god all right this, uh, <laughs> he's probably got to really be careful who he wanders around gotham asking for help finding a pearl necklace i like you know i i like it when the biggest problem at the beginning of the episode is jake's you know enthusiasm level it's not when i actually start getting into shit like <laughs> <laughs> anyway I'm I'm just joking. Guys, let's jump into good pop, bad pop. It's time for more leftover reviews with good pop, bad pop. All right, good pop, bad pop is where we talk about the things in the previous weekend or weeks that we either watched or read. Sometimes we rate these things. And if this is your first time listening, we'd like you to be familiar with our rating system. The rating system is simple. If the leftovers don't like something, they toss it. If they do like something, they suggest you taste it. And if it's brilliant, it gets a Tupperware rating. If all the leftovers love it, then it gets the pinnacle of success, a Tupperware party. All right. Yeah. uh, A fuck ton of trailers dropped this week, gentlemen. Uh, We did a uh, bonus episode for the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. That episode should be up. Listen to it. We break it down. Uh, but we also got a couple other trailers. I want to talk about these trailers. Uh, the first one being Transformers Rise of the Beasts. This is the latest Transformers movie. It's coming out June 9th of next year. And, uh, yeah, uh, this kind of came out of nowhere. I, I forgot about this movie. I, for, I kind of forgot about this movie. Um, and it just kind of came out of nowhere. It's nice to see Peter Cullen still doing the voice of Optimus Prime. Love it. But um, I want to know what you guys thought. Uh, Joe, what did you think about the uh, Transformers Rise of the Beast trailer? Um, so I've been kind of hit or miss with with the Transformers movies that have come out. I, I saw the first Michael Bay one and then skipped a bunch of them. Um, I, I, I was just kind of whatever about that that first transformers movie it was it was okay i I thought it had some fun action and i didn't really care so much about the human characters um but then i saw bumblebee when that came out and i really enjoyed that one i i was i was in on both sides of the story on that one so i had no idea that this trailer was coming out i i didn't know that this movie was even going to be a thing and you know for me being somewhat ambivalent about you know the live action transformers stuff this trailer was really really cool like from the very start with that, the 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 big robot gorilla coming out, like it, it looked fantastic. And also the sound with it. I mean, you could tell that it was just the way they mixed it. It almost sounded like an auto tune gorilla roaring or something like that. It is just super exciting from the start. And, and really this whole trailer 
it was just action, action, action. It it looked like a really, really crazy movie. And I think this is one that I'm going to be seeing on the big screen. I, this is this trailer did enough to where it made me want to see more. I really liked a lot of the visuals we saw in it. Uh, the the stuff with Optimus Prime at the beginning where he where he pulls that pulls that big blaster and then it kind of you know transforms back down to just his regular hand when he sees it's not a threat. The the scene where it closes up on his face and it shows the face shield come up. I thought that was great. And then just the all out fucking battle at the end of this trailer. Like I was just wowing. Like, my jaw was just on the floor watching it. And um, so I mean. I, I I couldn't believe it because I, I went from, oh, okay, yeah, Transformers trailer to by the end of it, I was like scrubbing back to the beginning to watch it again. And so for me, this was a Tupperware just because it got my excitement level from, I mean, literally on the floor to, holy shit, I have to go see this in the theater when it drops because this is going to be amazing. I need to see it on the biggest screen with the best sound possible. Yeah, I'm excited as well. I uh I'm I'm really excited about this movie. Uh Stephen Capel Jr. is directing this one. He's uh directed uh Creed Two. And so we're, we're you know, we're going of course we're going away from Michael Bay here, going to the new director. Um I'm excited about this cast. Of course, Peter Cullen is the voice of Optimus Prime. Um I was confused at the beginning of the trailer because we saw a Porsche and I was like I thought Jazz died in the first movie. I thought he got ripped apart by Megatron and it's not Jazz, it's Mirage. And a lot of people are not liking the fact that they've got Mirage here as like this this Porsche and they've kind of uh, and these are G1 fans. I, I I don't have a problem with it, to be quite honest. I love G1. I mean, that's I never really got into like the Beast Wars stuff. Um, I, I I just aged out of Transformers as far as um, some of the cartoons went. Um, and I was just a, I've been a G1 fan for life, and you know I loved the the comics and I loved the the animated movie and and um, people are upset that Mirage was using holograms in this one and that's hounds ability uh the jeep the the army jeep and because um, in the in the show in the, in the g1 show he could mirage could make himself disappear or he could make him make it look like he appeared in another place he just he didn't use holograms in this version of mirage was using holograms so people were upset about that i don't really care whatever i thought optimus primal looked amazing um, it's going to be voiced by Ron Perlman, which is pretty awesome. Uh, Pete Davidson is actually voicing Mirage in this movie. <laughs> That's weird. Uh, Wheeljack's going to be in this movie. Uh, John DiMaggio is going to be Stratosphere. Um, uh, Michelle Yeoh is going to be Arizor. Uh, she turns into a, um, uh, a Falcon. So she's going to be a Maximal turning into a Falcon. Cheetor. Um, a Maximal rookie who transforms into a Cheetah. I don't know who's voicing that. Um, David Sabalov is going to be Rhinox, a Maximal text expert, and transforms into a Rhinoceros go figure. Um, Peter Dinklage is going to be Scourge, the leader of the Terracons. Oh, nice. Yeah, Peter Dinklage. He's got a great voice. Uh, uh, David Sabalov is going to be Battletrap, 
transforms into a orange 1980s GMC Top Kick C7000 tow truck. And uh, Michaela J. Rodriguez as Nightbird at Terracon transforms into a Nissan Skyline GTR R33. So, yeah. Um, I love the trailer. I thought it, was, it looks fun. I like I like how Optimus is not like the the Michael Bay version. It looks more it looks more like it looks more like G one. It's definitely like the transforms into like uh, you know more of a classic uh, semi truck. And um, so I Tupperware this. I, I I cannot wait to see it. I cannot wait to see it. Bumblebee transforms into the seventies classic Camaro again. I love that. It looked great. Oh, and RC's going to be in this movie. RC looked awesome. Um, she's not going to transform into like a car, like a race car like she did in um, – <clears throat> almost looked like a Cybertronian race car uh, in the in the movie. She's going to be transforming into a uh, Ducati motorcycle in this one. Is she the one that gives like the peace sign to the girl yes. at the end of the trailer? Yes, that's, okay, that's RC. Oh, the, the character design on her looks so good. Yeah. Yeah, she no, she looks like she looks pretty much like RC from the Transformers animated movie. So I Tupperware, I loved it. Optimus Primal looks fucking dope. I cannot wait to see this. Yeah, this is definitely one to be seen in IMAX. They usually film these Transformers movies with IMAX cameras. Uh, Dre, what did you think? Um, yeah, kind of like Joe. This, like y'all said, this trailer definitely came out of nowhere. I thought the Transformers franchise was, for all intents and purposes, dead more or less after the last couple of movies um love the first one i think the first one's a classic the second one didn't care for it. third one hated it i haven't even bothered to watch four and five bumblebee i saw it not in theaters but i eventually saw it and yeah i liked it but again didn't really really wow me or have me hooked on it so this one coming out of nowhere it it's did its job of getting me interested so i'll give it give it that for a franchise that again that i thought was essentially done this got me interested back in franchise and seeing where they're going to go with it um i looked into it and apparently this move this uh movie is set between bumblebee but before the first transformers film so i'm guessing that's going to give them a lot of uh material to work with or a lot of time to work with if they plan on reviving this franchise some so uh, it has my interest, so in that regard, I'll give it a I'll give it a high tasted. There you go. If, I know. If the, if the job of this trailer was to get people reinterested in the Transformers franchise after it having been fairly dormant for a couple of years now, I think it accomplished that. Um, again, seeing the uh, Primal and some of the other ones, they look cool. They look definitely excellent. Is you can tell they're getting away from um, that art style with the Bay films where everything just looked like a whole big jagged mess. <laughs> so I, I appreciate that that they're going with more coherent designs on these on these characters so yeah um it, it, i'll say it definitely has my interest yeah yeah so yeah that's uh transformers rise of the beast i i'm looking forward to it i'll definitely be seeing that one in the theater we'll probably be re- oh we'll definitely be reviewing it i just don't know if it'll be a spoiler episode it might be because i love love me some transformers indiana jones five what is it, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Let's see here. <laughs> the title really rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Yeah. I, a lot of speculation about what it, what it, what it, what it all is. I, we'll get into that. 
thoughts on the trailer? I, I, I'm, I really want to know what you guys thought about this trailer. I mean, we've been directed by James Mangold. He directed uh, Ford v. Ferrari. He directed uh, Logan. Love this director. Love James Mangold. Dre, what did you think about Indiana Jones? Is it Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny? It just it yes. doesn't roll off the tongue. It's terrible, Joe. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it has the alliteration going for it, Dial of Destiny. But other than that, yeah, it's, it's not really smooth. Yeah. Um, the trailer itself, I'll give this one a taste it. Um, nothing about it particularly wowed me. There are some things that I look at, like they, they showed a whole lot of action and stunt sequences in the trailer. And I don't know that the trailer did the job of getting me over the hill of Harrison Ford is old as fuck. And how believable is it going to be seeing the stuff that we're possibly going to see that this trailer implies? That's that. That's the one hang up for me with this movie. It's just Harrison Ford in his age. It looks like it could be compelling, but... I, I I can't I haven't quite gotten over that hill yet with this one. So and I don't think the trailer really changed that for me. But I, 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 it's hard to say where I'm at with this one. I'm, if if the job of the trailer was to get me to buy a ticket, it did not do that. But I don't. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad trailer per se. If I if I'm making sense, like it's interesting, it's captivating, but it didn't quite sell me. So I'm just gonna leave it at. At, at a taste it for now. I'm dude, I'm with you. Like here's my thing. It's like I'm seeing Indiana Jones again. And yes, he's very old, but I don't think the trailer made me feel nostalgic. Like I didn't feel like I was watching Something that shows the promise of like um, me going to the theater and watching Raiders or Temple of Doom or The Last Crusade again. Mm -hmm. It made me feel like, yes, this movie is going to be slightly better than Crystal Skull. But it didn't make me feel like this. I didn't feel like what I was watching here, just based off the trailer, I didn't feel like... By the time I watch, and I could be completely wrong, but I don't think I am. I don't think by the time this movie's over with, I'm going to be able to, I don't think it's going to be a discussion of like, which one did you like better? The Dial of Destiny or The Last Crusade? I, I mean, I don't think that discussion is even, I don't think it's coming close. So. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't seem like it's going to crack into the top three. It yeah. Could probably exceed Crystal Skull, but yeah, probably not topping the first three there's just a part of you that just is like i understand why they're doing the de-aging thing but he's not going to be young indie the entire movie and so it's like and even if they were able to like do that with the budget how seamless would it look throughout the entire movie mm -hmm. there's just something about those first three <laughs> movies that i don't think They'll ever be able to recapture. Do I think that this movie is going to be fun and entertaining, especially with James Mangold at the helm? Yes, but I don't think it's ever going to be in a discussion as to whether this movie's ever going to be like better than anything that we saw in the first three, if that makes any sense. So I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, also somewhere. at a taste it. I, I, I really love though, um, 
the fact that we got John Reese davies back for this one, I, I think that's great. He was supposed to be in the last movie. He was going to show up uh, at the wedding at the end, and he just didn't he didn't want to be a cameo. And so hopefully they got a little bit of a media role for him in this one. I love that we're getting Boyd Holbrook in this movie. He's going to be kind of like I guess second in command after Mads Mikkelsen's character of Voller. Um, oh, and and I love Phoebe Waller Bridge. Um, I'm a huge fan of hers. So I, I love the supporting cast and I love the director. But man, there is something about just seeing old Indiana Jones. There's something about there's just something about young Harrison Ford that was just so awesome in those movies. I don't think that you can quite recapture that. And like Logan, we're dealing with an older Logan, but still it wasn't like fucking Hugh Jackman was was 80 years old. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, man. I don't know, dude. I'm going to taste think, it. I'm going to taste it. Go ahead, Dre. I was like, I think some of the magic of the first indie films was Harrison Ford and his ability to pull off physical action comedy. Like yep. he could pull off action sequences with a tinge of comedy to it. And that's what a lot of the magic of the first three films was. And obviously he's old as fuck. He can't do that anymore as much. So I don't know that this movie's going to have that in it. I don't know if they're going to try to if they even thought about that in the making of this film or if they're going to try to play somebody else in that to fill that role or what. But I think that was a lot of the magic of the first ones for me was Harrison Ford and his his physical his physicality. Oh, yeah. I mean, dude, him hanging off the side of a fucking tank, you know, I mean, yeah, come on. So much stuff. That, yeah. Yeah. That, that he was doing these just crazy stunts and stuff. And he just fit the role of this action adventurer that's having these adventures in the jungles and the deserts and all over the world and, and fighting Nazis and stuff. And it's not something you think about a dude in his seventies or eighties doing. So I totally get where you guys are coming from with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and now I'm right on the same page for me. It's a taste. It. It's like, this has got, I'm, I'm happy to see stuff. Like you were saying, Brian, I love the supporting cast in this. I love the director and I've got high hopes for it. I don't think it's the biggest bar to be able to beat uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, especially when you're just looking at the supporting cast and comparing them between the two different movies. Uh, this one's definitely on paper way better. And um, but the, there's just no way you can beat those first three movies. It's and, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that of the age of the character is that it, you have to believe that your leading man is the one that's going to get you out of this jungle and find the relic along the way and beat the Nazis. And (laughs) it's just Harrison Ford's, I don't want to say he's past his, well, I mean, it is true. He is past his prime. Yeah. You you don't want to say it, but it's a hundred percent true. Yeah. It's like, I'm not trying to be rude by saying that he's in his golden years, you know, all in the end. And and it's commendable that he's able to come back and film this movie. Yeah. But to go into it thinking that, oh, this is going to be as awesome as The Last Crusade, which in my opinion is – it's one of those movies. It's one of the best sequel movies that's ever been made. And and to try and do that again on the fifth movie, it's it's not going to reach those those heights. Yeah. But I think it will be better than Crystal Skull just because of the director and the supporting cast. And that's what we need it's to go out movie. on with Indy, right? Yeah, and, and also the CGI is guaranteed to be better in this. Yeah, I, I, the CGI in Crystal Skull was pretty fucking atrocious. I just think we, uh, you know, I, I, I'm ex, I'm the reason I'm excited is I am excited to see the de aging stuff and what they did and how they can do it, and 
if it will bring back those feelings of watching those movies, seeing them de-age Harrison here. And those would be the scenes that would catch us because yeah. it's, we'd be seeing that young indie again. Right. And and just the glimpse we got in the trailer looked good, yeah. but it's easy to look good in just a brief glimpse on a trailer. I just want him to go out. I've always wanted them to make another movie so that it wasn't Kingdom of the Crystal Skull being the movie that we go out on. Yeah, that's a good call. So I'm happy for that fact. Empire Magazine had an article where they kind of opened up and talked about this. And um, Empire can reveal that Indiana Jones 5 finds our hero in 1969, living against the backdrop of the space race. But the American effort to beat the Russians to the moon brings with it some uncomfortable truths for Indy. The simple fact is that the moon landing program was run by a bunch of ex-Nazis. Indiana Jones 5 co-writer and acclaimed British playwright Jez Butterworth tells Empire, quote, how X they are is in question. And it gets up to Indy's nose. It gets up in Indy's nose. Uh, pitching Indiana, a man always looking to the secrets of the earth rather than the stars into the era of the astronauts finds him even more a man out of time. It's not just that the model of what a hero is has completely changed, says Butterworth. Uh, it's not just that they're looking – his mom was called Mrs. Butterworth, by the way. I <laughs> want you to – want you to – yeah, chew you on that. pancakes again? <laughs> Fuck you. It's French toast. I wonder if they called him Jizz Butterworth. His, his name's Jez Butterworth. <laughs> hey, Jizz, you want to come on my flapjacks, buddy? Anyway. Ah. Uh, uh, it's not just that they're looking for something where there's nothing up there. It's like Reno without the gambling or whatever his line is. Uh, but the people that are behind it, you know, his sworn enemies. Uh, enter Mads Mikkelsen's villainous Voller, uh, inspired by real life Nazi turned NASA, NASA engineer, uh, Werner von Braun. Uh, quote, he's a man who would like to correct some of the mistakes of the past. Teases Mickelson of Voller, quote, there is something that could make the world a much better place to live in. He would love to get his hands on it. Indiana Jones wants to get his hands on it as well. And so we have a story. Uh, yeah, uh, it's a story that blends fact, fiction, fedoras and fascists, including a major action set piece set at the Apollo 11 ticker tape parade in New York, thrown to celebrate the astronauts on August 13th of 1969, the sequence not only sees Boyd Holbrook's nefarious Claver, um, oh yeah, he said, uh, I'm a lapdog to Mads and a crazy one at that. That is perfect casting right there. <laughs> yeah, it is. He'll be able to knock that out of the park. He plays crazy great, man. Remember Vengeance, Joe? <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> and he was great in Logan. It's nice to see. That he's working with Mangold again. Uh, so um, I find it interesting that in this article, many times they, they're talking about, uh, you know, Harrison Ford's Indiana Jones being a man out of time. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen says that uh, Voller. He's a man who would like to correct some of the mistakes of the past. 
And then he goes on to say there is something that could make the world a much better place to live in. He would love to get his hands on it. Indiana Jones wants to get his hands on it as well. Let me jump into that. What I'm getting at, guys, is like, could there be time travel at play? Listen, like, is that the dial of destiny? Is there a dial that can take you back to the past? Yes, that's what it I seems think. Seems to make sense. It seems to make the most sense. So these flashback scenes, are they flashback scenes or is fucking Indiana Jones going back in time? I don't know if they're I don't I don't think they're <laughs> I don't know, guys. They might not be flashback scenes. We might see Indiana Jones using the dial of destiny. Yeah, I hope so. That would be fucking cool. I mean, it'd be a big swing in a big I mean, not the biggest departure on on what they've done, but I mean, it'd be a huge fucking departure, really. I mean, I mean, it's it's he's looking for a historical artifact, and it's going to do what it's going to do. But we've never seen one that does something quite like this. It's generally more wrath of God type stuff, and to have one that actually like puts them back, would it kind of be like a time turner from like the Harry Potter universe or something? It's it's it sounds exciting, and and if if they can pull it off with the technology to make it look like young indie, and it might be the best chance at recreating those original trilogies, despite what what we were thinking earlier. But that would seem kind of weird, though. If he's turning back time, is he affecting himself as well as he tur- as he's traveling through time? That's that's a weird, that would be an interesting twist on time travel because usually when you see time travel, it's time that moves around the person who and the person remains relatively unchanged it would be interesting if it's if he's traveling back in time and it's also de-aging him as well there was an article i got this from dark horizons and it was titled uh post indie 5 trailer speculation gets wild uh it goes on to say following the release of the first trailer for indiana jones and the dial of destiny Yesterday, story details about the film remain under wraps, which leads to some wild speculation based on the footage shown. We do know the plot unfolds across two different time periods, with one in the early 1940s with a digitally de-aged Harrison Ford, a train sequence, Nazi castle, etc., and the other in the late 60s. However, the differences has led to some wild conjecture – Parts of the net citing script leaks or test screenings suggesting a story involving time travel with Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character visiting different plot points in Indy's life and saving him, according to comments on Gizmodo. I'm pretty sure that Mangold has said that's not the case. Like, don't believe that. There haven't been any test screenings, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, several online comments cite the giant boulder scene as proof of the film boasting time travel, even though in this case, it's not a boulder, but a globe of Atlas in a very different style temple. Uh, others are speculating about the shot involving a German bomber cockpit flying towards some atmospheric phenomenon. Director James Mangold shot down a recent plot leak that mentions time travel, calling it not true and confirming no test screenings have happened yet. Much of the conversation has been in praise of the quality of the film's digital de-aging effects. The new film is set to hit theaters June 30th, 2023. I don't know, guys. Maybe we're just way off base here. Maybe it's not time travel. Maybe it's just flashbacks. I don't know. It's just that dial of destiny. What the fuck? What the fuck is it? I think it's time travel. 
I, because the, I, I don't know. I, I'm just really leaning towards I'm putting all my eggs in that basket. It is fucking time travel. Fuck it, Joe. I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah, I, I think you shot it down just to throw people off the set. Agreed. Yeah. I don't like – I don't like the element of having Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character visiting different points in his life to save him, though. No, that's terrible. I hope that that part is absolutely wrong. I like the idea of this, you know, Warner Von Braun type character that hears that there's this artifact that's the Dial of Destiny. He could turn it back and make it make some key difference so that the Nazis win the war and Indy's got to go back and stop that from happening. Yeah. I, that right there is a really exciting sounding story. And if they got the technology to pull it off, which it sounds like they do, then this sounds like a really exciting plot line to me. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I'm still at a taste it for the trailer, but uh, yeah, yeah, you bet your ass I'm going to be in the theater watching this one and praying for a good Indiana Jones 5 movie and a good movie to fucking take us out because he's, they're saying this is the last one and it, it should be. The guy's 80. Come on. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, real quick, uh, I watched uh, in theaters, they they released uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio before it drops on Netflix this Friday. Uh, it's a retelling of the famous fairy tale by Italian writer Carlo Collodi about a wooden puppet who comes to life and dreams of becoming a real boy that takes place in 1930s fascist Italy. Pinocchio is a story of love and disobedience as Pinocchio struggles to live up to his father's expectations learning the true meaning of life. Uh, it's a stop-motion animated musical fantasy film directed by Guillermo del Toro and Mark Gustafson in his feature directorial debut from a screenplay by del, Tro- del Toro and Patrick McHale. It's got an incredible voice cast here. Ewan McGregor is Sebastian J. Cricket. Um, David Bradley plays uh, uh, Geppetto. Uh, Gregory Mann as Pinocchio. Burn Gorman is in the movie. Christoph Waltz plays a villain, Count Volp. Uh, John Turturro, Ron Perlman, Finn Wolfhard, Kate, uh, Kate Blanchett, Tim Blake Nelson, Christoph Waltz, uh, Tilden Sw- Tilda Swinton. Um, and I, got, I, I saw this in the theater. It was the last showing of this movie. I was like, fuck, I, I would like to see this on the big screen. I thought it, I thought it had already dropped on Netflix and uh, – because I was like, yeah, guys, you can just watch it at home. And I, I, Joe, I think you pointed out to me that it didn't drop till Friday. And uh, yeah, it doesn't drop till next week, unfortunately. On uh, Netflix. I, I didn't watch the new Disney Plus live action version. Didn't really care. Um, you know, but I, I, I love Del Toro and I don't even think I watched a trailer for this before I went in. I didn't. This movie's a Tupperware. I loved it. Oh, nice. I loved it. I loved it. It was, oh my God, it is so Del Toro. Um, I didn't mind that it had uh, a musical element to it. I I, I, I didn't mind it at all. I, I thought that uh, the stop motion animation was, was beautiful. I, I, there's like this, you know, amazing fantasy element with this it's not just the fact that you know it's a fucking little you know wooden 
puppet boy that comes to life. But you've got you, you've got your you've got Geppetto. He's an old man. He's got a son, and his son dies in this accident. And it's really sad. It's really tragic. And like this guy, you know, just he fucking won't leave the gravesite. He fucking drinks and shit. And he's just super depressed. And he wants his son to come back. And and uh, through through magic. And I won't get into like how Pinocchio is is brought to life in this one, but it's really fucking cool. It's real. I thought it was really fucking cool. He's brought to life, and and it's not. It's not what it's all cracked up to be for Geppetto. It, it you know, he kind of sees Pinocchio as a nuisance, getting into trouble, and there's, and um, and the townspeople are freaked out by him, and but man, he just the adventures that they go on that 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 Pinocchio goes on, um, and there's this really cool element where he can't fucking, he can't die. He, if he dies, he always comes back. And I won't, I won't spoil that, but it's, it's just, it's really cool where he goes when he dies. And, um, God damn it. I love, this is my favorite version of Pinocchio I've ever seen. And there's no racist crows in it, which is cool too. Um, always a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm curious about the musical aspect of it. You said it's a little bit of a musical. So yeah. does that mean it just has like occasional musical numbers? It's not like, full-on musical where it's you know like hitting you over the head with a, a new song like every few minutes exactly yeah yeah and, and like the songs really like the ones that i that i remember um like he's doing them when he's working at like the carnival you know and they there and there's uh there's one that almost starts it was pretty fucking hilarious like <laughs> there's one where Sebastian J. Cricket is going to start singing a song about, you know, he, Pinocchio is always disobeying Geppetto and wanting to do kind of like his own thing. Cause he's just been born into the world and he's very curious. And Jiminy, Sebastian J. Cricket, not Jiminy is, um, getting ready to sing the song about, you know, fathers and he's like father and then like pinocchio just oh swings this door open and just like slams into him and he never gets <laughs> to finish the fucking song in that moment and it, i laughed i laughed so hard there it's it's very funny the animation is so good and the fantasy element is awesome and there's so much guillermo del toro like um some of the aesthetics and creature designs are so del toro like if you've been with Del Toro, I've been with, I, I remember I saw Pan's Labyrinth in the theater, not even knowing what it was about or anything. I just, I had seen all the movies that have come out at that time. I wanted to see a new movie and um, I was just like, oh, what's this? And I walked into Pan's Labyrinth and I was like, this is amazing. The creature designs in it were just insane. And he's got some insane kind of like Pan's Labyrinth creature designs that pop up in this movie. And it screams del toro but man it's just a fun fucking movie i loved it absolute tupperware when this drops on netflix i highly recommend you watch it and um yeah it's my favorite pinocchio i've ever seen it's really yeah. good yeah, i just glanced at the trailer while you were talking about it and i i see what you're talking about when you say with the uh the creature designs and stuff like that and 
just the trailer alone, <clears throat> the trailer alone, it looks really inspired. And like, it's definitely, uh, t- telling its own, well, I'm going to say telling its own tale, but not just being like some empty rehash of what people have remembered from the Disney yeah. movie. Like yeah. this is definitely inspired and in looking to tell, be unique in its own way. And I see that all through this trailer. So yeah, I'll definitely check this one out when it drops. Dude, I'm telling you, like, Christoph Waltz is this villain in this. He's fucking perfect. He's so good. He's so good in this movie. Uh, I'm, Christoph Waltz is amazing. Um, he's one of my favorite actors. He's always so good. Yeah. He's really good here. Really good here. Um, oh, Joe. I just rewatched Django and Chained again last week. Oh, and God, so yeah. As soon as you brought up Christoph Waltz, I'm just thinking of his character in that. And so smiling ear to ear. He's so good. <laughs> Did they do? Did they release an extended one, like they did with uh, the other like with the Hateful Eight? Hateful Eight, yeah. Not that I know of the 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 version that I have. I'm pretty sure it's the theatrical version. Well, I didn't know if Netflix, if if Quentin Tarantino did something with Django, like on Netflix, because you can watch the extended version of the of the Hateful Eight on Netflix. They dropped it, and I think it's like a three or four part thing. Yeah, yeah, I think it's like four episodes or something. Yeah. That'd be cool. I I would like to see Quentin do that with more of his stuff, especially if he films as much as, or as you know, as much ends up on the cutting room floor as purportedly does. Joe, you you saw Glass Onion? Oh my gosh, yeah, Glass Onion. I am so glad that I went and saw that in the theater. And I mean, what what a great movie! If you loved Knives Out. You've got to go see Glass Onion because, in my opinion, I mean, and, and maybe I need to sit on this a little bit longer. But for for right now, I like it better than the first one. I I I just I liked the the pacing of it. I liked the way they laid it out. I liked the story on this one. I thought the story in the first one was fantastic. I mean, they're they're both absolute Tupperwares in my opinion. But for right now, Glass Onion is edging out Knives Out for me. Just. <laughs> I, I can't wait to see it again because these uh the characters in it and the situation that they're in and just the way that it's it's almost like there's not a single likable character in it but it just makes the story even better for the way that it pans out in the end and I can't wait to see the next one with um with uh <laughs> um uh Benoit Blanc he's such a great character Yeah I'm just hoping it gets a I, I, I've been hearing the rumors that they might re- re-release it more in theaters again. I, I hope they do. I do too. Because it, it worked really well, and and I think that it was, I think that it was short-sighted to them be, to to do a limited release for such a short period of time. Because I think the audience demand really showed that if they would have done a wide traditional release, they would have fucking cleaned up, and then they could still release it on Netflix later on. It's the way it should have been done. I agree with yeah, you. I've, I've really come around to your way of thinking on that is that they need to do away with the 45 day release and they need to really focus on putting things in the theater and giving it a chance. Netflix, in the theater. And, Netflix doesn't even do a 45 day release. Oh, no, it's it's less than a month later. I, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if they want people to get back in the theaters, then. You know, they eventually they can need to, they need ah. to break this cycle. Netflix don't give a fuck if people get they, yeah, Netflix, Netflix just wants to sell subscriptions. The they're just buying <laughs> they're buying up IPs. They're buying up fucking creators. They don't give a fuck. They don't they don't care about theaters. 
Um, Senior. This dropped on Netflix. Uh, it's uh, Robert Downey Jr. pays tribute to his late father in this documentary, chronicling the life and eclectic career of pioneering filmmaker Robert Downey Sr., directed by Chris Smith, who has the most boring name ever. Um, <laughs> really? I probably got a listener named Chris Smith. Right you probably now, got three it, listeners named Chris. Yeah, no That's shit. A pretty generic right. white guy name. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, Senior. Uh, Dre, what did you think about Senior? Um, This one. What? Let me see. Um, I'm not familiar with Robert Downey Sr. or any of his films or anything that he's done before. You should be now. But, right. Um, <laughs> This thing, the what I loved most about this film is that, um, the fact that at its core, it's it's a father son tale, in terms of uh, of Robert Downey Jr. showing his appreciation for his father. We're getting a you're take they're taking you through the story of his life and through the films, but it's not like a traditional documentary where they're just like. Where they just lay out events like this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. It doesn't do that. It's more of chronicling the final days and such. And I thought it was very beautifully told in terms of their interactions with each other, their their phone calls, their time spent together, um, all the way up until the end. And for me, I'll give it a uh, I'll give it a high tasted, and as far as my rating, um, it even managed to. The vibe that I got through the film was even seeing the, the the clips of Robert Sr.'s films, they were all kind of very weird, quirky, oddball type films. Definitely not like your typical mainstream ones. And this documentary itself even had a little bit of that vibe. It had a little bit of his flavor and his flair to it in in the the documentary, which I thought was a very nice touch as well. Um the I can see the um the ending was very touching as well when they finally did get to you know his final days and and I appreciated that in Robert senior that even in the end where he was once the, um the uh, Parkinson's disease had taken over and physically limited him, he was still dedicated to the craft of filmmaking all the way up until the very end. And that's something you got to appreciate in somebody that they have devoted themselves so much to a craft that they, they're all about it all the time. There's one point where I think somebody asked, he asked somebody what the weather was like. And he said it was, they said it was it's cloudy and rainy outside. And his response was, Oh, well that's great for, for, for photographing. Like he was like, he was that person all the way through. And I appreciated that much about him. So it's it's a nice documentary. It can be kind of sort of slow at times. You know, if you're looking for if you're looking for, you know, a point by point narrative of the guy's life, that's not what you're going to get in this. But the way that it's told is still very beautiful and still helps you appreciate this person and the life they lived and the the art that they created throughout it. So, yeah, I give it a high taste. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I'm not from I've never watched a single Robert Downey senior movie in my entire life. I, I'm not familiar with his body of work. Um, very familiar with his son. And, uh, I think like that's your like entry 
point into this. That's the gateway to watch this is like, oh, Robert Downey Jr.'s in it. It's about his father. Let's check this out. And like, I thought that this was one of the most inventive and creative documentaries I've ever seen in my entire life that had like so many surprises. It opened my eyes to like these underground films that I'd never even heard about. Uh, it opened up my eyes more to um, Robert Downey Jr.'s life, the life that his father led, why Robert Downey Jr. is kind of the way that he is. Um, talked about his mother. It It's also like a very it's, – it's a wild documentary because there's almost like – two cuts within the same movie because you've got Robert Downey Jr. making this movie. It feels like, uh, as far as like be, it feels like he's directing part of it. Chris Smith is directing part of it. And then we know that senior is like giving, like we get to see like his cut of this movie throughout it as well. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like his kind of like swan song, the way that he gets to direct one last time before he passes away. And it's also a very cathartic film, I think for both father and son trying to, you know, uh, talk about some of the things that maybe they need to talk about, um, before, you know, he passes away. I, I, you know, we, we all know that Robert Downey Jr. Had a struggle in, you know, the eighties and nineties with uh, drug and alcohol abuse, but I didn't know that it came from his father basically letting him do these drugs and he feels very remorseful about it. That was wild that they opened up about that. And it, and there's moments where Robert, you can just see like Robert Downey Jr. is not acting. Like you could tell like his father was like his best friend. And like he's not acting here. Like when he's crying, it's not for the cameras. It's. It's real. Like these are real fucking moments with this guy. Um, I didn't know that his father was such good friends with Paul Thomas Anderson and actually was in Boogie Nights, a movie that Paul Thomas Anderson directed. Um, I kind of, I love that. And, and, and Robert Downey Jr. made the joke of like, uh, I, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson is the son my father always wanted. I thought that was funny. I laughed out loud. Um, I think one of the best scenes in this documentary is Sean Hayes playing piano while Robert Downey Jr. sings a German folk song. I thought it was awesome. (laughs) And I love the look on his father's face and his father loving that. Um, Parkinson's is just a terrible fucking disease, man. And I, um, but it was awesome just to see like three generations of that family coming together there in the final moments. I, I Tupperware this. I, I, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, love that it was filmed in black and white too. I, mm-hmm. I, this is an absolute Tupperware. This is a, a beautiful, real, Movie, Because I'm so used to seeing fucking like when celebrities or Z-list celebrities or something like that are like in a reality thing. I'm so used to seeing like, you know, like the Ozzy Osbourne reality show where it's just all fucking bullshit. Like this was fucking real. This was like stripping these men down to like their cores, the who they really are. I fucking thought it was brilliant. 
Um, yeah, it does a great job of presenting his father with dignity. Yeah. Yeah. The entire film. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, what'd you think? Yeah. I, going into this, I didn't know anything about Robert Downey senior. If you'd have asked me, I'd have been like, he, he co-created the highest paid movie star of all time. I mean, you know, I, I got nothing. I couldn't have even told you that he was a filmmaker. And and this movie did such a great job of letting you know who his father was and and most importantly, like developing it, or showing the, the relationship between father and son. And and in that regard, this documentary was just absolutely beautiful. It, it had me in tears at the end. And and you hit the nail on the head when you said that these it shows these men stripped down and, and real. This is a very raw documentary of these people really expressing genuine feelings and in like kind of having these, you know, bringing up these things that, that, that happened in the past. It blew my mind. I did. I had no idea that from like a young age, Robert Downey Jr. was just allowed to, Oh, you want to, you want to smoke some weed, dude, go for it. You want to, you want to store some Coke? Yeah, go for it. It's a fun time. Like that's, a crazy way to raise somebody. And then to think of the troubles that he went through, it's like, yeah, duh. Like <laughs> you don't have to be Miss Cleo to see that shit coming. You know, I mean, that was, that was in the cards that it was going to happen. And the fact that he was able to work through that and, and be the, the incredibly successful person that he is today and, and still have this incredibly loving relationship with his dad. But then at the same time, also show what kind of father he is. And this was just an absolutely beautiful documentary. It's it's not anything that's like super action packed or, you know, it's 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 not it's not engaging in that way. It's engaging in a more like emotional type way. And and th this was an absolutely beautiful documentary. It was a Tupperware for me as well. And and man, I was I was just in tears by the end of this thing. I, I, I'd say if you're a Robert Downey Jr. fan check this out and watch it because it's going to give you a much greater understanding of, of who he is as a human being. And, and for that, you know, this, this documentary is just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, called senior. It's just, it's spelled S R period. It's on Netflix. Check it out. And, um, yeah. His dad was so funny too. Yeah. Oh yeah. What a great sense of humor he had. And just that, that wry sense of humor to where it's like, it's not a joke in your face or the punchline. It's the way he's saying something or the words that he's choosing to respond to you with. And wow. Wow. What an incredible person. I can't imagine growing up the way that, that RDJ did. Not many people can, man. I, that is and, just and to be successful life. at that stage in your life and mm -hmm. not have it crash and burn you. I mean, cause it certainly fucking tried life really tried to crash and burn. And you could say that life did crash and burn Robert Downey Jr. And man, he fucking rose like a Phoenix from the ashes. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's two versions of this, man. There's the version where he fucking ODs and dies. And then there's this version. There's like, there's no other way around it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I mean, that's I mean, look at look at look at look at the Hollywood stars like, you know, like you think of River Phoenix and he could have been he could have been that guy. Easily. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt, he could have been absolutely dead of an overdose at a very young age. And yeah. and nobody would have been surprised by it, especially if they would have understood his home life in the way he was raised. They'd have been like, oh, yeah, 
Yeah, that was a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, and the, yeah, just like, you know, probably a nightmare to work with on certain projects. I'm sure he lost a bunch of projects because of that. They didn't want to bring him on as Iron Man because of that. Like the studio wanted, you know, a bigger actor. They wanted they wanted Tom Cruise. They wanted somebody of that caliber. And, you know, Favreau had to fight for Robert Downey Jr. And now we look at that like, that's crazy. Because you can't imagine anybody else in that Tony Stark role. Yeah, right? Yeah. And it was beautiful that um, Junior didn't appear to begrudge his father for the things that he went through in the film. I think, in fact, he even talks about one point where the, the father, you know, was on the drugs and stuff as well. And then he gets over it. But RDJ is still, you know, still down in the still down in that sunken place and hasn't gotten through it yet. But he credits them for being a source of stability while he was still you know, trying to get his shit together, but not quite there yet. And so I thought that was just really nice that, or a beautiful moment where he shows that, Yeah, you know, I was still down in there, but you guys were, you, you know, a senior. And I think it says his second wife or so were that source of stability for him while he was still trying to make his way back out of the darkness. Yeah. Yeah, it's powerful. It's a powerful documentary. I highly recommend watching it on Netflix. Uh, let's talk about uh, Violent Night. This is a theatrical release. Did everybody get a chance to see this? Yep. Yeah. Uh, an elite team of mercenaries breaks into a family compound on Christmas Eve, taking everyone hostage inside. However, they aren't prepared for a surpri- surprise combatant. Santa Claus is on the grounds, and he's about to show you why this Nick ain't no saint. Um, director, Tommy Wercola. Producers, David Leach. David Leach uh, did Deadpool 2. He, he co-directed John Wick. He directed Atomic Blonde. He was also the director of uh, Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. Um, the film stars David Harbour. Uh, You'll know him from uh, Stranger Things, and he was yeah, he was Hellboy in that latest Hellboy entry. Uh, John Leguizamo, Alex Hassel, Al- Alexis Lauder, Edie Pattinson, Cam Gigandant, uh, Leah Brady, and Beverly D'Angelo, who I thought it was fitting to have Beverly D'Angelo in this movie. She's also in uh, Christmas Vacation. I, I, I like that. I thought that that was cool that they got her in there. Yeah, totally. But um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with Violent Night. I I I, I saw this in IMAX. <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna see. Th- 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 there was one showing, um, the one theater that was showing this in <clears throat> in IMAX, and I was like, I can't believe this movie is making it to IMAX. Number one, number two, I got to see it in IMAX on the biggest screen. And I think I saw it at a five o'clock show, and there was maybe like three other people in the theater with me. But man. If we weren't all laughing at the same ridiculous shit throughout this entire movie, it was – I – I'm telling – it's so wild because it's such – like the title says it all, Violent Night. And it's rated R and it really is like uh, – it's, it's just a very violent Santa Claus movie. And it, it's like it's like uh, they're comparing it to uh, uh, replace uh, John McClane and insert Santa. 
It's like, <laughs> yes, it's like, it's like, it's like Santa Claus meets a diehard movie. And it really is. And then there's parts of it where it's like home alone meets a violent R rated movie. And I just, I fucking loved it from the beginning. Like there's a scene where, you know, you like Santa's getting drunk because he doesn't feel like people appreciate him. Like there's no Christmas magic and he's just getting drunk before he goes out and he delivers all these presents and he's like, ah, this is the last year I'm fucking doing it. I'm done. And as he's flying away, he, <laughs> he pukes on a woman <laughs> and I'm dying. I'm laughing at this. There's a scene where he fucking takes a grenade and shoves it down this, this guy's pants, this villain's pants and calls it a stocking stuffer. And, and then the guy blows up and he's like, Oh, holy shit. <laughs> And John Leguizamo says, Christmas dies tonight. I'm like, this is just insane. Uh, this movie is just fucking batshit insane. It's wild how it feels very much like a traditional Christmas movie in a lot of ways. It makes you feel very Christmassy. You've got Christmas songs playing. And then there's, they're playing like a Christmas song as he's fucking taking this huge hammer and beating people's skulls in and I'm <laughs> laughing the entire fucking time because it's so ridiculously violent yet so Christmassy at the same time. <laughs> I, I loved it. I loved it. This is like, this is like one of my favorite fucking Christmas movies ever now. I, I absolutely <laughs> love this fucking movie. Um, this is an absolute Tupperware. I loved, uh, Edie Patterson is in this movie. She, uh, uh, she, um, w she's in the Righteous Gemstones. Um, and I, yes. I love her in the Righteous Gemstones and she's in this movie. She basically plays kind of like the same, you know, character in this. I loved it. I loved it. I loved this movie. This, this is this is a must see. It's like it's Christmas coming up. If you like gory movies, if you like action movies, if you if you weirdly want to see violence and still be in the Christmas mood and get like a Christmas message at the end of this movie, <laughs> like this is the movie. This is like the perfect amalgamation of like violence and Christmas magic. <laughs> it is so weird. And I thought John Leguizamo was fun. Um, oh, my God. It, I loved it. I loved it. Absolute Tupperware. Joe, what do you think? This this is my new favorite Christmas movie. Like, I'm... I'm this movie was fucking incredible. I, I expected it to be fun. But I didn't expect it to be this good. Like it is, it's a legitimately good movie. Like the humor is there, the action is there, and and it's even got a good amount of heart in it too. Um, you get some backstory on Santa. You can kind of see what he was doing hundreds of years ago. Um, this movie's fucking wild, and it's it's so well acted. It's so well written. It's it, it is my new favorite Christmas movie. I I took I took my fourteen year old with me to see this. There was only maybe. We were at a five o'clock showing on opening night and there was maybe four or five other people in the auditorium. And I, I was laughing so hard at this movie that I, I was definitely the one laughing the loudest in the theater. And that's, it seems pretty normal where I'm at in Cedar Rapids. I feel like we have much more reserved crowds in the, in the auditoriums I'm at, but dude, this movie was so fucking funny. It, 
it had it on every level. The way that, that it's described is like a diehard movie with Santa or scenes where it's like an R-rated Home Alone is 100% where it's at. Um, the the aspect of Santa sneaking through this house and slowly taking out armed guards and and the the bit I, I don't want to give anything away during the Home Alone scene because I think that audiences really need to experience that not really knowing what's going in but i'll just say the the nail in the ladder rung was one of the best things i've ever seen in a movie it was it was both horrifying and hilarious and <laughs> the only thing i can imagine is these other people in this auditorium <laughs> seeing this big bearded guy laughing hysterically and then looking up and going does he have a kid with him <laughs> like, is he is he laughing this hard? <laughs> like, what the fuck is going on? And I kept glancing over at Aiden because there's parts of this movie it does not shy away from goriness, like whatsoever, man. They they blew the budget on fake blood and shit like that for this movie. And I kept glancing over at him, and he was almost covering his eyes in parts, like holy shit, I can't believe how hard this movie's going. And it's there though. I mean, this is this is a movie that I see myself. Not just rewatching at Christmas. It will definitely be rewatched at Christmas because it is this is without a doubt a Christmas movie. It has great Christmas spirit. It has a Christmas message, believe it or not, but it's also a fantastically entertaining action movie. And the you gotta go out and see this in theaters. I, I would love to see this movie blow up um because it absolutely deserves it. So yeah, but the highest of Tupperwares for me. This is the favorite thing that I watched this week by far. It was so good. This is like a new Christmas tradition. Like this and yes. this and Die Hard, right? I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, it's, if, if you're the sort of person who like you and you're like, yes, Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and I religiously watch it every year. This is going to go right up there with it. Like you are going to fucking love this movie. Dre, what do you think? Yeah, um, I'm I'm in agreement with y'all. This movie is a Tupperware for me. Um, <laughs> Oh, shit. It, it's a Tupperware party for Violent Night. Yes. Yeah. I have a feeling that it might not have been had Jake been here. <laughs> I don't know. I can never tell with him. Yeah. This movie, it just worked. It 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 has it like you said, it is that kind of diehard home alone amalgamation. And I appreciate that they they fully committed to it. Like, they didn't just try to, like, okay, we're going to be different, but, you know, eh, try to play it safe. No, they just said, fuck it. We're going all in on this shit. Hey, hey, and real they- quick, before I forget, what, like, even the scenes of of uh, Santa using the walkie-talkie and talking to the young girl reminded me of John McClane talking to uh, – Yes. You know, talk, yeah, talking mm-hmm. talking to the – Talking to what's his name? To Al. To Al, yeah. In 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 Die Hard, it totally reminded me of that shit. Yeah, yeah, and and some of those those moments are some of the more touching and more endearing moments of, in this movie that help bring about that 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 Christmas spirit, that Christmas magic, as as you said in this film. And like I said, they fully commit to just being to this movie. Fully commits to being what it is. From John Leguizamo with his with his Christmas puns and all the punchlines that he gives and all this and everything that they, they did. Um, you know, nobody would ever look at David Harbour and think, yeah, he's a good Santa, but he works as this type of Santa. Even the time <laughs> where he says, 
where he says ho 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 or something of that nature. It has a Santa sound to it. And like I said, everything about it, like I said, you wouldn't think it would work or you would think that this would just be some somebody who just wanted some filmmakers who just wanted to be different for the sake of being different. But they did. They went for it in this film and it completely worked. It has action. It has violence. It even has heart. And at its core, it is still very much a Christmas movie at the tail end of it all. And yeah, this is a movie that you can definitely watch around Christmas time. Maybe not necessarily pull up with the kids unless you're Joe, but you can gather <laughs> the adults around maybe at least when the kids go to sleep. Joe, and- Joe's like Robert Downey Sr. Like his fucking <laughs> kids are doing coke and smoking weed. <laughs> well, what's funny is that when I asked Aiden if he wanted to go, Liam was like, he kind of perked up. I'm like, I can't get away with taking a 12-year-old to an R-rated movie. You're going to have to wait, buddy. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> At least Aiden's like he's a six foot tall, like fourteen year old. So I, mean. <laughs> I was, I mean, I'm trying to remember. I mean, I was watching R rated movies by the time I was twelve. Oh, so. for for sure, dude. Yeah. Growing up, you know, mm. being an eighties kid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Watching, I remember watching Terminator when it first came out on home video. So I think I was maybe five or six. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, get it. Throws to the wolves in the eighties. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> exactly. There weren't <laughs> child locks on anything. No. Right. <laughs> Think about some of the childhood m- movies we watched and how fucked up they were when you look back at them through adult eyes. Yeah, yeah. totally. Think of some of them that have a PG rating, and you're like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Dude, but- what did you guys think of the Krampus villain? He was my favorite. Oh, I loved Krampus. <laughs> he was totally fucking psychotic. Yeah. Yeah, so like the, the nutcracker scene. <laughs> like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic movie. Violent Night out now in theaters. David Harbour as Santa. You got to watch this one. I'm telling you, this is not like the disappointment that was Hellboy. This it's fantastic. I'm telling you, David Harbour slays, slays. No pun intended. I wish more people would have been in my theater when I saw this because yeah, it seems like I guess y'all might have had pretty small audiences in y'all theaters as well. Yeah, this thing would have this thing airing in front of a full house. I believe would be a phenomenal experience because I think anybody who sees this would enjoy it. Yeah, I was I was upset last night. I was one. It, I got really fucking tired last night. I went to bed super f- fucking early. I went. I was in bed by like nine fifteen. Um, there was a movie that I wanted to see in the theater. Uh, the theater that me and Jake went and saw Psycho Gorman at. The one that we go see, like the room um, when they play it there. They were playing this movie, and I, we're at, we're going to be reviewing it on the podcast next week. So a little tease for next week's. Episode. What is this fucking thing called? Hold on. I went. They were playing it in the theater last night. Do I not have it in my fucking notes? Jesus Christ, Brian. Hold on. I'm gonna look it up because I know I looked it up on IMDb recently. Yeah, it's called Killer Raccoons Two: Dark Christmas in the Dark. <laughs> <laughs> what a title! <laughs> it's a it's a parody of Dark Siege and Speed Two that will leave you with your jaw on the floor, and it's about. It's it's killer raccoons, and it's raccoons wearing Santa hats and with machine guns. <laughs> Holy crap! And just from the poster, it looks like they're taking over a train. They're like raccoon terrorists <laughs> or some shit. And like, and that sounds incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it. Oh my god! Like, people are just bl- 
going crazy over this fucking movie. What if they? Oh god. <laughs> yeah, it premiered in like 2020. I don't. Uh, I'll talk about it. I'll talk about it next week. I thought I had an interesting fact on it. Speaking of killer animals, did y'all get a trailer for Cocaine Bear with Violet Knight? No, 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 I yeah, didn't. I did. I've been waiting. I haven't watched the trailer yet. I've been waiting to see that on uh, on the big screen. How was it? Dude, I'm fucking there opening night. That thing looks like <laughs> it is going to be fun as hell. You know, it's based on a it's based on a true story. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah yeah the trailer's looks- fucking bonkers dude i i'd seen it like you know just on youtube social media and stuff like that leading up to it and so as soon as it started on the big screen i was like yes i'm so excited to see this trailer on the big screen and i'm yeah i'm, I'm with you dude i want to see it opening night it looks like a wild fucking movie i think we Ray I, Liotta's final performance too oh wow i think we uh we talked about it as a news story on the podcast earlier in the year, I think I think we talked about it, but yeah, okay, here we go. Yeah, like uh, it's a fucking bear that like eats like seventy pounds of cocaine and goes crazy on a rampage. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Yeah. Here we go. This is Killer Raccoons is a fever dream of a good time. It was the number one comedy in America for the weekend of July thirty first through August second of twenty twenty. It was the only comedy released in theaters at that time. But they still put the put that accolade on the posters and that's what, and that's why there are kind of people. That's what uh I wish I could have seen this in the fucking theater last night. Killer Raccoons 2: Dark Christmas in the Dark. Oh my god. Yeah, I'm going to re- we're going to review that shit next week. I got to watch it. I don't care if it came out 2 years ago. I want to It's Christmas. I want to watch a Killer Raccoons movie uh, during Christmas. <laughs> it was made in Ohio, apparently. There you go. <laughs> let's talk about uh, let's talk about Willow. Willow, the new Disney Plus series, dropped. They dropped two episodes. It has been years since Queen Bev Morda was defeated. An unlikely group of six heroes sets off on a dangerous quest to to places far beyond their home, where they must face their inner demons and come together to save their world from the gales. Uh, Warwick Davis returns as Willow, and uh, we've got a brand new cast of uh of characters i guess some familiar faces of course you know from the from the movie but this dropped on disney plus and um yeah uh mad mardigan is not in the series uh he is talked about in the series i guess he went on a quest and never returned and um yeah we've kind of got like a one of the characters is kidnapped and then we're, we've got kind of got, kind of got like a Lord of the Rings fellowship where they're trying to uh, retrieve this character. And there's this, you know, these visions that Willow has been having that, uh, uh, you know, it's basically like, uh, the, the, the dark magic has come back and, and, um, what's her name? What's, what's the, what's the little baby's name from the first Allura movie? Dannon. Allura Dannon. Um, did you guys did you guys know who it was in that first episode? Yeah. Kinda yeah. I know. As soon as it was revealed, I was kinda like, oh, I yeah, that's who I figured. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, yeah, two episodes dropped. Joe, what did you think about Willow? Dude, growing up, like, I always 
like fantasy was always my favorite genre growing up, whether it was in film or books. And and Willow was one of those movies that like I watched over and over and over and over again. I absolutely love it. And and the thing about Willow is that it's a movie that takes itself seriously. It's a very earnest, like high concept fantasy story. It's not it's not very slapstick other other than like, you know, like the Kev, Kevin Pollack Brownie character. There's not too much silliness in, in Willow. It takes itself pretty seriously. And this series, I just went into it just assuming like, this is Willow. I love Willow. I'm going to love this series. And within the first 10 minutes, I'm like, it was very, it was challenging that very hard because this is a drastic change in tone from what the Willow movie was. Whereas the Willow movie was serious. This move, this series is, is borderline silly. And there's comical but, elements to Willow. I mean, for sure, but yeah. not, not at the same tone. You're of right. What this series, you're hundred percent right. This, you got a lot of characters that don't even talk like they're in a fantasy film or a fantasy series. And, and yet I know what they're, they're doing this in, in revamping it and trying to get a YA audience is, is the feeling from this. And for me being a 42 year old guy who like, I grew up watching Willow. I had an idea in my head of what this would be. And it just felt so different from that, that I, I wasn't ready to accept it. And so for me right now, just with two episodes in, this is a low taste it. And I don't know if I'm going to go back and continue watching because it was so wildly different in tone. It took so long in the first episode to actually get to what's going on. And then the second episode felt a little bit more like maybe what the rest of the series is going to be that I don't even know at this point if I'm going to be watching this week to week. I'm, I might wait and have wait and see if other people report and say, oh, this actually gets really good. Um, but I, I don't see myself watching it week to week. The the huge change in tone really, really bothered me. I don't mind the younger cast. I don't. There, there's nothing about that that really bothers me. But this just doesn't feel like Willow, other than the fact that there's a character named Willow in it. It's supposedly set in the same world. But it's so drastically different from the world that we left at the end of the Willow movie that it just the series left me scratching my head saying, other than name and like a few characters, how the fuck does this have anything to do with this beloved movie from my childhood? And so it just left a sour taste on my mouth. I was I was kind of shocked at how disappointed I was by the end of the first two episodes. And I've been going back and forth between tossing it and and low tasting it. And in the end, it's like, I still loved what Warwick Davis did in this. And I, 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 uh, <laughs> I was just so disappointed with it. And, and it's, it's definitely not going to be something I'm watching week to week, but I would be open to revisiting it. If, if other people say that, Hey, there is something to be found in this. Like, that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, Dre, what would you think about Willow? Did did you grow up watching the the movie? Um, I remember having seen the movie as a kid, but I don't have that strong as a connection with as Joe did where he's seen it multiple times. I just remember having seen it as a kid, but not multiple times to where I remember a whole lot from it. So, um I was I appreciated that the first episode gave you a quick cliff notes of the original just to, you know, for those who would not have remembered, but um Joe, I'm also glad that you mentioned how serious the first, I mean, the original Willow film was. How it 
took itself more seriously. Because one thing I that I felt while watching this movie was the mo- some of the modern uh, language that people were using, or at least some of their mannerisms and their talking and some of the more comedic bits of it. Definitely had me wondering, like, was I thought to myself, like, was was the original movie like this? Was the original movie was it more comedic like that? I didn't remember that. And so, yeah, I was scratching my head at that part of it. So, um, although I think I'll give this movie just a, a middle of the road, taste it. Um, I don't know who exactly this series is for because the people who do have, uh, the strong memories of it or strong connection to the original film will probably feel exactly how Joe felt. They'll feel a disconnect with this with this series. Um, the first episode was 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 okay. It took a while to get going and get to you know what the the storyline was going to be. The second episode to me just kind of meandered. It didn't really go anywhere much. I felt like a, a whole not a lot happened for the hour that this episode lasted. Um, it seems like it's more geared towards trying to attract a younger audience, but I don't know that a younger audience would have an, any interest in this because they're too young to have seen the original willow. So yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's just a, it's for me, it's just a middle of the road. Taste it. Oh boy. This is, it's so f- I'm a fuck it. I'm going to toss it. Um, I love willow. This is just, there's the episodes are so forgettable in my opinion too. Like it's I like I can recall things that happened in it, but like, do I recall anything I really gave a shit about? <laughs> Not really. I didn't really I didn't really connect with any of the characters except for like you know the member berries of seeing like you know some of these characters come back and and um, I did I did appreciate that you know we. We're introduced to Willow and he's not like he's not like Luke was in, you know, the 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 last Jedi where he's just like totally like fuck everything. Jaded. I'm yeah, jaded and shit. Like, you know, he's got his problems with, you know, Alora Dannon and how she was raised, and he felt like she should have been kind of like mentored by him and things like that but he's still very much into like sorcery and stuff and and i I did appreciate that but um i didn't really care for like the the kids in this one um and uh i don't have a lot to say to be honest with you i i i Oh God, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I wanted. And I, I do, I agree with you, Joe. I do think it's like they're trying to target a new audience and, and I feel like they're in a lot of ways alienating the old audience with like the, the new tone of this. And, um, they are trying to grab a younger kind of like YA audience with this one. And it doesn't work for me. Uh, being like a, you know, like an old school Willow fan. I mean, I played, I play, I loved the movie. I, I used to play the Nintendo Entertainment System video game. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. I mean, I loved, I loved Willow. I loved Mad Mardigan. This just doesn't have that same magic 
Um, both had humor. I mean, Mad Mardigan was always picking on Willow and shit. And you had the brownies popping up in that movie being silly with Kevin Pollack. But the humor was different. It, it, it You're right. It didn't feel it, like it, it was like modern movie. Yes. It didn't feel like modern day humor that we have now and other things. Like you don't have to have that today to connect with, you know, audiences. You can you can still – I don't know. I just – I'm at a toss. It. I, I, the sad fucking thing is, Joe, I'm such a big fan of Willow. I will watch this week to week sadly. <laughs> <laughs> So it's not like – I love it. Yeah. So it's not like one of those things where it's like I hate it so badly I'm never going to return to it. I'm going to suffer through, <laughs> right? I, like I feel like this is one of those things where it's – I love the character so much that I'm going to suffer through in the hopes that it gets better. God, that's fucked up. I was listening to Joanna Robinson talk about this on The Ringer and she had seen – um you know, screeners of this. And so she's seen, I, I believe she said the first seven episodes and she said it, it's, I'm going to kind of paraphrase what she said, but it, it's almost kind of like an adventure, like cameo of the week type show. And we do get Christians later in this later on. So I would be interested to see what kind of character he plays in that. Cause to me, when I think fantasy and Christian Slater, I immediately think of the Kevin Costner Robin hood movie where he played Will Scarlet. And so I would be excited to see him, you know, in a in a fantasy type genre again, um, I I I don't think I can watch it week to week though. Um, man, just the way the characters talked in this just made me so annoyed. You're having characters like, like um yeah that, and it's like yeah I talk like that too, but I'm not in a fucking fantasy epic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm in yeah. the modern world, and you have these characters in a fantasy epic that are talking like they're in the modern world. But then there's other characters that are also in it that are still talking like they're in the original movie. And so it's like this is a weird amalgam of just – it's like they're clearly just reaching out to this YA audience being like, please watch our fantasy television show. Yeah, pull yourself away mm-hmm. from TikTok for a moment and watch Willow on Wednesdays. Yeah, yeah, like there's there's one moment where I think um, Elora uh, Dannon says that she's a phenomenal cook or whatever. She cooks the food for the, and then the guy tastes it and he's like, "Oh, this is good." Then you see her mouth, phenomenal, and it's like, yeah, that's like a modern type of humor. That's not something I would expect to see in the no, fantasy. It was totally out of place in this show, and mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was a real disappointment to me. I, I wanted to love this because, man, when I think back to like. You know, just like quintessential movies of my childhood, Willow is is in that top ten list of movies that were very influential to me. And to to have this one, to have this series miss so hard, it just bums me out. Yeah, I I mean, fucking, I loved Willow. You couldn't find it anywhere streaming, and so like I bought, I bought the Blu-ray the week it came out. <laughs> awesome. So excited because I love Willow. I, I still have the VHS. Yeah, that's awesome. I think the movie is on Disney Plus now. It's on Disney Plus now, but it, at the time, you it, this is before Disney yeah. Plus even came out. You couldn't find it anywhere. So right, right. Oh, as soon as I was done watching episode two, because I watched episodes one and two back to back, and I said to my wife, I was like, "Fuck, I need to go back and watch the original one just to get the taste of this out of my mouth." <laughs> I watched. Um, I I bought uh, the best of the best. 
<laughs> yeah, I saw that on social media. That's yeah, awesome. they had the they had you could get it for I think it was like thirty bucks. You could get the best of the best one, two, three, and four on DVD. It's the only way you can watch it. I mean, you can watch the first one streaming, I believe, on Stars. Uh, the second one you cannot find anywhere, and I hadn't seen them in so long. But I went back and I watched the best of the best. Um, and it's, it's, I mean, yes, there are some stupid moments in that movie, but it is so, I think it is, I love it. I still love it to this day. And I remember in the nineties watching best of the best too. And I loved it even more than the first one. Now that I'm older, now that I watched best of the best too, I was like, this movie is not as good as I remember it. <laughs> it's excellent when you revisit something from your childhood and you're like, fuck, younger me was stupid. <laughs> yeah, the, it didn't it didn't age well watching the best <laughs> of the best too. But I still think that fucking um Oh god, what's his fucking name? The singer. Uh Wayne Newton. I think Wayne Newton was fucking great in that movie. I think he was so good. <laughs> anyway. Raging Fire. We got two more things left, and then we'll take a break, guys. Are you guys? Are, do you guys need a break now? No, no, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. I don't know. It's Jake's not here, so I, I was like, man, I'm <laughs> I'm with people that don't have bladders the size of a pea. So awesome. <laughs> I only had one coffee pre-show. So. <laughs> Raging Fire. This is a, a Donnie Yen movie on Haya. Um, every once in a while, I'll just jump on high and see like what's new and what's, uh, what they're, what they're, uh, what they're showing Jake, uh, Joe next week, I'm reviewing another movie on high And if you want to watch it, you can, I know you're not on next week, but it is called, it looks really good too. It's called a janitor. And I think the, the two girls from, um, uh, baby assassins show up as the same characters in this movie because it's directed. Oh no, fucking way! Yeah, it's directed by the same dude. I just haven't oh, gone. Sweet. I, I just haven't wrote it down. Yeah, I haven't gone on to IMDb to check to see if they're the same characters because I want to be surprised when I watch the movie if they are because both of the girls are in the movie and I think they're playing the same characters. And the movie looks dope as shit, dude. It looks awesome. And that's going to be next week. We're going to be talking about a janitor. But uh, this is Raging Fire. Uh, Chung Sung Bong is an officer in of the regional crime unit who worked in the front line for many years and cracked many major cases. However, he is seen as an outcast due to his extremely righteous character, which affected his career. But his protege, Yao Kong-yo, respects him as a good officer, although Yao doesn't completely agree with Chung's overly hard-boiled style and believes in taking shortcuts. Yao manages to reach up to Chung's level. However, fate unexpectedly brings them to different paths and pits them against one another. It's directed by the late Benny Chen. Um, this is his final directorial movie. He passed away of cancer on August 23rd of 2020. And they show at the end of the movie a lot of scenes of him putting this movie together and working with the cast. Um, but, uh, you know, I... I wanted to watch this movie because it stars Donnie Yen. I love Donnie Yen. Joe, I know you're a huge Donnie Yen fan. So I was like, 
let's put this on the list. I, you know, a, a lot of Donnie Yen appearances in American movies, uh, he doesn't get like the biggest roles. Do you think of like Rogue One and and uh, I'm trying to think. I'm sure there's others. I, Rogue One's the one that I can think off of hand that he's been in, and, and he's going to be in the upcoming John Wick Four. I don't know how big of a role he's going to have in that, but I feel like you know, like when you watch a, a Donnie Yen movie, you know, um, an overseas film, that you're going to actually get to see Donnie Yen, and you're going to get to see him acting, and. This movie delivered. I, I mean, this is like a, it's like a, it's like a police drama meets action movie. Um, there's a little bit of a heist angle to this one as well. Um, Do you the, know what this movie was? It's like it a was, court- it was Hong Kong Heat. Oh, I was going to say that there's a there's there's definitely scenes where it reminds me of Heat, without a doubt. Yeah, there's definitely. I was going to say that uh, as I was watching it, and like the, the like the streets, like the 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 scenes of them like uh, shooting machine guns out in the street and shit in broad daylight. I was like, this is uh-huh. fucking Heat. In the way that the 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 protagonist and the antagonist have like face to face conversations. Yeah. Where it's like, I know you're the bad guy. I know you're the guy trying to put me away. Good luck. You know, that sort of shit. It was like, God damn, this, this has – it really, really reminded me of Heat. There, and then there's like parts of it that's like a court drama as well. You know? Uh, it's wild, man. Um, yeah, the, the court scene was very intense. There's, a, there's an amazing – there's a, like an amazing car chase. Um with a mo- there's a motorcycle involved as well and when that car hits that motorcycle and it kind of like i don't even know how they fucking did that it just looked incredible with that do you know what i'm talking about joe yes yeah that that whole scene was fantastic especially the way that it ended the way he saved that kid <laughs> it was fucking unbelievable how in the fuck man i know yeah <laughs> I don't know how they shot that and made it look the way they did, but it was incredible. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I can't, there's so much in this movie. It's hard to break the whole fucking thing down. I just, I'm here to give it a Tupperware and say that I fucking loved it. And, uh, I'm going to go back. I'm going to have to go back. I don't know if I've ever seen a Benny Chen movie before, but I'm going to have to go back and look, look, like look through this guy's catalog of work and see like, if he's worked with Donnie Yen before, what other martial artists he's worked with, and if those movies are out there for us to watch, because this guy's this guy was fucking awesome, and like, yeah, um, yeah. I looked through his filmography a little bit. He's done stuff with Jackie Chan, and I was like, oh, I've got to see this. I might have seen some of those. I've seen a lot of Jackie Chan stuff, so. Um, yeah, R.I.P. Benny Chen. Uh, Tupperware. I loved it. I loved this fucking movie. I thought it was incredible. Um, Dre, what would you think about Raging Fire? Yeah, this movie is absolutely a Tupperware for me as well. Um, I appreciate it. And a lot of times when you get some um, action movies, especially with a, a major star, some of the likes of Donnie Yen, sometimes you get like the main character is like this superhero to almost a super type character like the super cop like they can do anything and everything and you know they can fight a hundred people and not spill a drop of blood or nothing like that i appreciated that this movie was more grounded and and its approach and more narrative driven than 
maybe what you might get in like some American action films. They were committed to the story and the and the relationship between um, the protagonist and the antagonist, and they really um, did a good job of fleshing those characters out and giving their backstory and giving um, their history together. Like I said, through the court scene, through the uh, flashbacks where they were, um, you know, where they had the the um, the, 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 the the events that wound up pitting them, making the antagonist who he was. Um, I appreciate nothing was too over the top with it. I like I liked all that aspects of it. Um, seeing Donnie Yen be able to actually act and not you know again not just be utilized as just the martial arts guy. Yes, I appreciate. Yeah, I, I like seeing that. Um, and I'm you know what I'm saying. And also other scenes like I forget how beautiful some of the um, Asian cities and are. Like there were scenes in there where I was just like, man, I I really want to go over there and see this sometimes. Like. There were some scenes that were just really, again, very eye-catching, just beautiful to the eye. That in some of his shots, uh, the um, the fighting that we did get was very well choreographed and very well put together. Um, another thing that we you get more of in in Asian martial arts films as opposed to American films, where you know you can see the full fled, the full breath of the fight. Not these somebody throws a punch, then it cuts to somebody jerking their heads inside like being hit by the punch i like I love yeah it's not it's not like it's not like watching like a born movie right right, right. yeah you, when you see these guys fighting you you're seeing the punch you're seeing the kick you're seeing the full choreography of it and that stuff is just beautiful to watch and i loved all of that um again i'm, I'm agreeing with you it's a tupperware for me joe i gotta hear from you man oh yeah this this was the highest of tupperwares for me um i i went into this with huge expectations and because I watched the trailer going into this and just knowing who the cast was or, or who was cast in this with Johnny, Donnie Yen's just one of my favorites ever since. Um, I always go back to that one versus 10 fight from Ip Man. And I'm just like, that is one of the most badass things I've ever seen in my life. And he just always knocks it out of the park. He's such a good martial artist and he's also such a good actor. And I loved that this movie gave him a vehicle to just show his acting chops. Cause this guy can do drama so well because this movie isn't just this high octane martial arts action movie. This is a real drama to it. That the, there's real character um, story arcs in this, especially with the villain. The villain in this is so well flushed out and his gang and their motives for doing what they're doing. And then seeing this guy just slowly go, I mean, not really even slowly, just, you just see that like, once this guy has crossed the line, like he's over it now and he's going to do whatever it takes to meet his agenda. And just knowing that, you know, he was Donnie Yen's character's protege when they were in the police department together, that he knows he knows all the tricks that the cops have, and so he's able to stay a step ahead of them. Dude, that interrogation shit was awesome. The interrogation mm-hmm. scene was amazing. When they're kind of laying it out to him, and he just kind of smiles at me. He's like, he's like, for 10 years, I sat on the other side of this table. I know everything you're doing. And in the way that he set that up, so that uh, just the way that the storyline goes down with stuff when they're in the precinct was high drama there's times where i'm fucking i'm siding with the villain in this movie man there are and you go Mm -hmm. back and forth like that where there's times where you're like i'm 100 percent in agreement with what they're doing here and then also with with donnie yen's character doing what he's doing just because of 
the character that he is, that he has these very high morals. And I love that the way that's established right at the beginning of the movie that, that he's brought in in front of top brass and they want him to let somebody go. And he's just like, no, <laughs> like, yeah. I don't care whose son it is. It broke the law. I'm out of here. Yeah. See ya. And, yin, and it's like, the in, yin from, and yang. what's that? I was gonna say the yin and yang between those two was just, Oh, it's perfect. Yeah. And that is the perfect way to describe it because it is like one of them is just this force for good. And the other just turns into this force of, I I don't know if evil's the right word for it, but man, some of the shit he's doing is borderline evil. And you just see this guy in action and you know, it's building up to this huge fight that's going to come down at the end. And when it gives it to you, it doesn't hold back. It is a great scene. And the way that it ends is fucking insane. I loved this movie. It, it totally blew me away. It's one that I'll be revisiting, and I highly recommend people check out Raging Fire. Yeah, Raging Fire. I'm telling you guys, it's like I don't watch everything on Haya, but it's two ninety nine a month. That's it. They charge you three bucks a month, and there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, uh, Asian action movies that you know. I mean, you'd either have to rent or or something. It, it's 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 a ton of fucking movies, and there's Haya originals. I mean, uh, Baby Assassins is on there. Um, there's a bunch of stuff that I've been watching. You know, I don't watch everything that they put out, but man, every once in a while they'll put out. I think they've got the entire Ip Man collection on there, Joe. Oh, excellent! So, um, yeah, that's Raging Fire on Haya. I mean, just get it for a month. Drop three bucks and. You know, pick and choose what you want to watch if you're into martial arts. Uh, watch Raging Fire. Watch Baby Assassins. I know. I think um, was it one? The Swordsman is on there, which is fantastic. I believe uh, Shadow is on there, which is another amazing movie. Uh, I actually Swordsman has Joe Taslam, right? Yes. I I I I own the I own it. I bought that movie on Blu-ray. I bought Shadow on Blue. Do I own Shadow on Blu-ray? If I don't, I'm gonna buy it. Note to self. And on a technical note, this for the three ninety nine price point, you would think that this two ninety nine. Oh yeah, two ninety nine price point. You would think this might be some sort of cheap app with low streaming quality or nothing or something like that. Not at all. I was watched this when I watched Rage of Fire. I didn't encounter any glitches, any hiccups. Perfect quality and all of that. Yeah, and it's yeah. not chock full of like random commercial interruptions or anything like some other streaming apps either exactly yeah so, yeah. yeah i'm i don't know i'm a big fan of high every once in a while i'll just pop on there and see what's new and i was happy to see a new donnie yen movie pop up on there uh i know whenever there's a high movie on the list i'm excited yeah oh, man in for a treat yeah <laughs> Uh, Three Pines. Uh, this is a new series that dropped on Prime Video. Chief Inspector Armand. How do you pronounce his last name? Gamachi? Gamach. Gamach. Armand Gamach sees things that others do not. The light between the cracks, the mythic and the mundane, and the evil and the seemingly un or uh, the seemingly ordinary. Upon investigating a series of murders in Three Pines, a seemingly idyllic village in the eastern townships of Quebec. Canada, he discovers long buried secrets and must face ghosts of his own. And um, I watched the first episode. I know there's two out. I, I just didn't have uh, with doing the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three breakdown and all the other things that I had going on this week with work and stuff. And I just didn't have a time to watch the second episode. Um, 
but I, there's a couple mysteries that they kind of uh, um, had going on in the in the first episode. There's the uh, a missing indigenous girl that I, I think it, that might be kind of like a a mystery that plays out throughout the season. But there was also another mystery about this local woman who. I guess had some sort of uh, celebrity. She had written a book, and um, she ends up getting electrocuted. And uh, so he doesn't believe that it's simply just uh, just an accident. This electrocution. He believes that she was set up and murdered. And the show stars uh, Alfred Molina, who I, I I adore him. I think he's a fantastic actor. I think he's really, in my opinion, the only reason to watch this show, to be quite honest with you, as far as... Yeah, I, that's what I'm going to say. Fuck it. I just think Alfred Molina is a great actor. I This is something that I typically wouldn't watch, honestly. Um, I, I think his character draws me to this series. I, th- I think he's just so good with his eyes. He can say so much with saying little with just like his eyes and his just the looks that he that he gives people. He's he's really good with that. Um, uh, Joe, what did you think about Three Pines? I I will echo what you said about Alfred Molina being the best part of this. Yeah, um, he he is a fantastic actor and and it really shows in this. He's fucking great in this role. Um I am, I've always been a sucker for detective stories. I mean, from, maybe from Enola Holmes all the way up to stuff. For I was just going to say, if you, if you don't mention Enola Holmes, I, and have I you watched season? I watched, have you watched the second two. movie? Yeah, it's a Tupperware. It's, fucking great. it's just as charming as the first one. And I hope they make a third and a fourth one because I'll be fucking there for them. I hope they do for you too. <laughs> But uh, I, I love detective shows. There, there's a great series on Netflix called The Sinner where Bill Pullman is playing this older detective that goes around solving these crimes. And for me, this was this was kind of like the Canadian Sinner where it's it's like this detective, this older, brilliant detective coming into this small, tight-lipped community trying to solve this murder that happened. And I watched both episodes. It is a, a part one and a part two. And, and these these both of these crimes that are laid out are pretty much wrapped up by the end of the second episode. So I'm assuming that as this goes on, it's going to be like a case of the week type show. Uh, it's, this is based on a series of books and is, if I'm remembering correctly from what I read, there's quite a few books. And so they do have quite a bit of source material that they're going to be able to pull from doing this. Um, the, this doesn't really do anything I've, that I haven't seen in, in like detective series. So, I mean, it, it really does just kind of follow those where it, it lays out the crime and, and you're, I mean, you kind of see the crime happen at the beginning of the, this first episode, you see this woman that nobody in this town likes. You can tell that, that she is not only horrible to her neighbors, but she's also horrible to her husband. She's horrible to her child. She definitely thinks that she's better than everybody else around her. and the this neighborhood that she lives in they've got like a curling rink right in the neighborhood and so everybody from this neighborhood is all gathered and they're watching these people do this curling match and then during the curling match she gets electrocuted in the chair that she's in and and then this detective along with some some other 
detectives from, I believe, Montreal come into this small town and, and start investigating it. And they set up shop. And along the way, he's kind of discovering that every single person who was at this curling rink had a genuine motive and reason to kill this entirely unlikable woman. And and so being that it was a two part episode, it was really great to go along on that ride and, and you know, do the roller coaster ups and downs of of where this case is going and him following the clues. And and it was a very likable show. I could see myself watching this week to week. And for, for me, it was uh, I mean, it didn't totally knock my socks off, but this is this is the highest of of taste it's for me. It, it definitely left me intrigued enough to where I would continue watching it, but this this wasn't it didn't like blow me away. There there was nothing I haven't seen before in this. But Alfred Molina just knocks it out of the park with this 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 role. There's something very, uh, I don't know. I don't I don't know if charming's the right word to use with his character. There's something very intriguing with his character that. Uh, uh, that that makes me want to continue with this one. He's the only reason I'm going to give this he's, a high taste. He's Joe. just such a good guy, too. Yeah. There, there's this scene where he's talking to this person who's like an adulterer, and and the guy says something like, you know, like, oh, I respect my wife, so I don't want her to find out that I was cheating on her. And he's like, if you respected your wife, or he goes, men who cheat on their wives don't respect them; they're wasting their time. And I was like, holy shit, that is a fucking truth bomb in like two sentences. Yeah. Like, he's just a really, really good character. He's got a good moral compass, and I love that in a detective. Yeah, I'm going to high taste it on this one too, Joe. I I just don't know if I'll be like week to week on this one. I don't know with all the stuff that I watch currently if this is going to make it. You fill me in on Willow, I'll fill you in on Three Punch. I'll probably be like, I should have been watching Three Pines this entire time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Dre, what'd you think about Three Pines? Uh, yeah, I only got through one episode of it. Um, watched it earlier this afternoon. I agree with y'all that Alfred Molino, Al- Alfred Molina, is the most compelling part of the show. The story itself had some interest to it, especially with the ending of the first episode and the uh, the uh, revelation that. Um, Molina's character makes at the end of that first episode and I kind of wish I had watched the second one and after watching the first one I switched over and watched the second episode of Willow and uh, yeah I kind of wish I'd have watched the second episode of Three Pines instead (laughs) (laughs) Molina is captivating in in his performance every time he's on screen you're immediately drawn to him and your ears are keyed in to every word that he says he delivers a great performance everybody else is just kind of you know, supporting cast just around there and more or less things for him to bounce off of. So, yeah, he's what makes this show interesting, in my opinion. And I'll, and I'll give it a I'll give it a middle of the road taste. It. Yeah, that's fair, man. Yeah, I think I think the big draw here for me is Molina. Like if I'm going to stick with this show, it's going to be because of him. It's, yo, I mean, I know you love the mysteries and stuff, but man, it's like anything right now coming out after hot off the heels. If you've seen Knives Out, you know, Glass, you know, Glass Onion, it's hard to compare, right? Oh, this this isn't even in the same league as Glass Onion. Yeah. Glass Onion is and Knives Out, too. Those are like a detective type story that is a next level mm-hmm. where it, it, it presents it in a way that I haven't seen before. It presents it in a way that is both in, and also very, very funny. 
Glass Onion too. I I think Glass Onion might have even been funnier than Knives Out. Yeah, Gla- you know, Knives Out and Glass Onion, they're like the that's like the that's like the blow job that you 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 bragged all your friends about that you got. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, oh my god, you wouldn't believe this. She <laughs> she was doing a handstand and blowing me. You know? <laughs> and then, you know, Three Pines is kind of just like it's still good. It's a blow job, but you know, she wasn't doing Cirque, Cirque du Soleil shit on my dick. Exactly. <laughs> on a rope from the ceiling and spinning. Exactly. <laughs> Up and down till you get there. Exactly. Yeah. Both. Both. <laughs> both. True. Both are good. Both have the same ending, but one was just one stood out a little bit more, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> We are juvenile. Let's take a break and uh, we'll come back. <laughs> Cirque du Soleil blowjob. We'll come back. We'll be back with. Uh, we'll be back with. Do I have news? Where the fuck is my news? Hold on, Joe. Look at this shit. What the fuck? I ain't got no fucking news, Joe. We got Marvel news and, and Star Wars news, and that's it this week, buddy. Damn. <laughs> Holy shit. No news. All right. We'll be back with the Marvel news. back and uh shit we do have some fucking news here we go hear ye hear ye read all about it it's a little news and there's no doubt about it this news is gangster as fuck yo it's gangster as fuck yo i guys while we were recording been recording for a few hours now while we were recording released today at ccxp the largest comic convention in the world they fucking dropped the trailer for the boys' spinoff Gen V. We just watched it. We're like three hours late to the game, but we still watched it. <laughs> I'm so glad that I'm not the only one watching the boys. <laughs> I swear. Like, Dre watches the boys. Joe, you watch the boys. Uh, oh, this, yeah. this one uh, is set at a college that's exclusive for um, – uh, young adult superheroes. It's run by Vought. And, uh, I got this. This is nerdsandbeyond.com says Gen V explores the lives of hormonal competitive soups as they put their physical, sexual, and moral boundaries to the test, competing for the school's top ranking. Uh, and uh, earlier last month, there was an article that came out from Esquire where they were talking about the fu- this future series. Um, do we, I don't know. I don't know when it drops. Do you guys know when it drops? Did they come out with a date? If you want to look that up, that'd be fantastic. I, I, I just can't right now. Um, it just says set to debut on, yeah, Prime Video 2023. 2023. Okay. So we're getting it next year. 
Fantastic. Uh, it's going to have ties. This comes from XY. It's going to have ties to uh, the season three's shocking finale of The Boys. They got some quotes here from Seth Rogen, who's involved in you know the creative process of this show. He's a producer. He says – he was talking to Collider. I've been starting to see episodes – of Gen V and it's completely insane. Just like the combination of superheroes in a college setting in an incredibly subversive R-rated world, there are parts of the show where me and Evan Goldberg are watching the cuts of the sequences that were just like, dear God, what are they doing over there? Um, what did you guys think about the trailer? Uh, Dre, what'd you think? Oh man, I love that trailer. Just a little bit that they got, that they gave us. And just like they got another banger on their hands from what we saw in this. Um, it's definitely not shying away from the blood. It's definitely going to have that same the, and it be in the same vein as the boys. Uh, it appears to be focused around or primarily focused around one uh, female character. Uh, again, it doesn't give you a whole lot as far as the story <laughs> and the arc. It but doesn't. It definitely tells you gives enough to tell you that it's going to be bloody. You're going to get action. It ain't holding back. And that's enough for me to say I'm there. Holy shit. One shot of Clancy Brown holding a fucking handgun. And I was just like, okay, Clancy Brown. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Joe. What'd you think? Oh yeah. I loved it. Um, I've been a huge fan of the boys. I, I think it's one of those rare shows where, where every new season has been better than the last. And, and the boys started off season one on a very high note, and it just keeps reaching new heights every season. And and just from the glimpses that we get in this teaser trailer for Gen V, it, it looks like it's following that 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 same formula of this is going to be a show unlike what we're used to seeing. And with that same level of violence that the soups bring in boys, to see that set in like a college environment is going to be really, really wild because you get shots interspersed in this trailer of like stuff that you'd see in typical college party movies. But then there's also so much blood, <laughs> like so much blood in this. And so I can only imagine what sort of fucked up stuff bought has got these kids doing to try and get them ready to maybe take a seat at the table of the seven at some point in their lives. And I, I think we're really going to be in for a treat with this. Just with the level of writing and the type of storylines that they've been bringing in the boys, I, I think that like a, a college atmosphere with soups and training that, you know, there's going to be some that are going to be really scrambling to be the best of the best. And we don't yet know what happens to the ones that don't make the cut. But, man, they were like scraping guts off sidewalks and shit in that trailer. So I can only imagine what it's going to be like. And I'm very excited to see this. Dude, I don't even know. Like that lead girl, like she almost had a power where like she was almost like a symbiote, like Venom. Where it's, But instead of like, you know, some kind of like alien ooze coming out of her body, it was it looked like human intestines. Yeah, that real fleshy. Weird. What the? I, I immediately Ugh. thought intestines too. I was like, "What is this?" <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh. oh my god. Yeah. This looks wild. This looks. Absolutely. This show looks wild, man. I feel like you know, with it coming hot off the heels of season three, and them talking about how it's going to kind of like you know be, it's going to be 
after the events of season three, it almost feels like it's going to be very necessary watching, possibly going into season four of The Boys. Like this is like a season 3.5 or something. Because you, you, you did see Starlight. You did see A-Train, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're going to get caught up on these characters. So, yeah, I'm down. I mean, I'm down. I'm all for it. Bring it. Gen V, I can't wait. I want, do you think that that's just the title, Gen V? It's not going to be like The Boys Presents Gen V. It's just Gen V. Um, title cards and stuff looks like it might be just Gen V. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I'm surprised they didn't go with The Boys Presents to just try and get that name in there to capitalize off it. Yeah. Yeah. Bold move to not do it. Yeah. yeah. I'm guessing they're, real, they're really confident in, that, in their audience and knows that People who watch the boys are going to be there for this. Yeah, no, I agree, man. Shit, well, that just that just happened. I wasn't expecting to get the trailer for this tonight. That's cool, and that's your that's your news. I, I didn't think I had news. That's fucking news, man. That's fucking well, I know news. The, the, the Christmas of trailers just keeps going. Yeah. Holy shit, man! All right, let's jump into Marvel news. Marvel news. I think on Twitter, don't quote me on this, but I think it was the official Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Twitter account tweeted that a new trailer is dropping on December 13th. Oh, that's exciting. I can't wait. Nice. Yeah, so in uh, 10 days from this recording, by the time you're listening to it, it'll be nine. We should be getting a new trailer for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Very exciting. Uh, I would be surprised if we... Man, they're saying that MCU's Tom Holland's going to be in this movie, man. I keep hearing it. Yeah, I keep hearing that too. And man, I, I that's wild that they're going to connect it with the MCU in that way. I never would have imagined that happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. I'm, well, I can say I can see that, but... It's not out of the it's not too fantastic that he in terms of like being like crazy that he's in this movie. I'm saying across the Spider-Verse, I could see them maybe doing some type of MCU jump or something like that. I don't think he'll be a significant character in it. I'd be surprised if that were to be the case. Is it canon to the events, though, Dre? Canon to the events of the MCU? Yeah, think about that. If it's MCU, oh, yeah, think about that, man. If it's MCU's Tom Holland jumping into this, is he gonna, is he gonna realize he's a cartoon? Is he gonna realize that, or you know, like, is he gonna have these memories? I don't understand this. I don't understand if it's true. If he goes, you know, like the next Spider-Man movie, is this is this Spider-Man going to have the memories of this movie? I don't know. That'd be funny. Am I making you made an offhand comment? Right. About like multiverse wise, mm-hmm. like like, dude, I've been in some weird multiverses. I don't know, man. I don't know if you can do that because I really feel like in the future that once Tom Holland is done with the character, that they're really gonna want to bring over Miles Morales. Yeah. Yeah, it makes yeah. sense. 
I guess it would depend on when they're jumping in to these to the supposed MCU Spider-Man. Yeah. Are they jumping into him post uh you know post No Way Home or pre No Way Home? It's just weird like to think that we could have an MCU Tom Holland show up and be able to talk about the events that happened in the MCU with this Miles Morales version in this animated movie. I just keep thinking that I really do feel like after Tom Holland retires the character that they want that that Sony, if they keep this relationship going with Marvel, that they would want to bring in a live action version of Miles Morales to continue the Spider-Man tradition in the MCU. And I felt like this I felt like this animated version was kind of like the like the way to get like non-comic book readers that didn't read the ultimate Spider-Man to kind of like get a feeling of who this character was and like why they should be excited now as to why we have a different Spider-Man in the MCU. Definitely, definitely. And and it worked cuz the Into the Spider-Verse was a huge success. So, you know, people who did not know the name of Miles Morales definitely know it now between that and the Spider-Man video game, Miles Morales video game that's come out. Yeah, there are people who are definitely interested in yeah. it. And I think there's a larger audience of people who want to see a live-action Miles Morales beyond just the hardcore comic readers. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Did they release a Blue Beetle? <laughs> not even D- not in D- I don't have DC News. They did release a Blue Beetle poster today. Did they release a trailer for Blue Beetle? I didn't I've not see a heard anything about a trailer. I've only seen the poster. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, possibly real, possibly fake. Loki season two plot. This can This comes from uh, uh, Twitter account Trust Me Bro eighteen, and it says Loki season two possible plot. Kate Dickey is the main villain. Kate Dickey was, uh, I think it was within the past day or two that they revealed that, uh, this, uh, Game of Thrones actor, Kate Dickey, is going to be in Loki season two. Uh, Kate Dickey is the main villain. She plays an older version of Sylvie trying to right her wrongs. She is using rogue TVA agents to erase the new timelines that appeared after the death of He Who Remains. Uh, Loki and the rest of the TVA team wants to get in her way because they don't want other people to die and they need the timelines to be free. No Kang overseeing the TVA. TVA now on their own. The ending of season one misled everyone. There is no Kang in the TVA. We find out about this in episode one and return to our usual agency. But at the moment, no one is responsible for them. The main plot, Loki, Mobius, and the other agents of TVA are trying to prevent the elderly Sylvie and the rogue agents from erasing the new timelines. During their mission, Loki finds our Sylvie, who is hiding in the 70s and works at McDonald's. All Loki except the classic will return. Loki and Sylvie's romance continues and plays a central role in the story. Kang plays a secondary role. The Mobius we see at the end of season one is still our Mobius. Loki actually went back in time when the TVA first appeared and he who remains was not hiding from others. 
He later erased all their memories and made them believe in the timekeepers. Loki's mind flits between TBA's past and present until Mobius brings him to Bo, played by Ki Hui Kwan. He's the TBA. He's from the TVA and is behind their technology. He will create some kind of device and give it to Loki so that he can fully return to the present. Interesting. Yeah, excited to see him in it. He was, you know, just fantastic in everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Glad to see he's having a bit of a renaissance. I hope that continues. Yeah. He, a rumor that I saw from, uh, I think this is yeah, yeah. This this goes along with the rumor that uh, Daniel RPK put out that uh, Ki Huai Quan's character, he was most recently in Everything Everywhere All at Once. His character in Loki season two will reportedly be called Oroboros. Oroboros. He will also go by the nickname Bo, a character in charge of tech. <laughs> A character in charge. Unfortunate nickname. Yeah, <laughs> a character in charge of tech at the time variance authority. So that goes along with that. That's interesting. You you said at one point, like you said, Mo- Loki's mind flips between TVA past and present, or something of that nature. What, yeah, that, Loki's that? Loki's mind flits between TVA's past and present until Mobius brings him to Bo. Played by Ki Huai Quan. He's, he's from the TVA and is behind their technology. He will create some kind of device and give it to Loki so that he can fully return to the present. His mind flipping. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm getting, I'm sticking on that. Like, does that mean like at one point he's one Loki and at another point he's another Loki because his mind is being torn between two points in time? So where he's like, Two complete it's like the same body but two completely different people depending on where his mind is being pulled at one moment yeah that's the other that's wild i what do you think what do you get out of that joe i mean i don't know i i don't my head's spinning trying to think about that because it's like or is is he just going to be like will he be like talking and present like okay i'm here with you in the now, I understand what's going on here in the now. And then the next minute he flips over and he's just looking around like, where the hell am I? I don't understand any of this. Is it going to be something more like that? I don't know. I mean, there's so many different ways they could do that. But I mean, I mean, imagine if like we're talking right here and now having this podcast and all of a sudden your mind flips back to like, you know, 10 years ago, wouldn't you be very confused? Like what, what, why are we doing this? Why is this microphone in front of me? What's going on? So it, it almost yeah. makes me think it would be something like that. But how do yeah. you make that cinematic? I don't know. Like, it's it, it was weird. Like, is him existing outside of time starting to have some sort of effect on him? Or yeah, that that's it. That's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out in the season. If that if that turns out to be the case, is he being is his consciousness being torn between multiple realities or multiple points of time? Is is this some after effect of him having broken the sacred timeline or could it be consequential to maybe some actions that Kang is taking that might be revealed in this season or at some other point? It's that's weird. That's, that's, that's interesting. 
Yeah, we're going to have to see the season to completely understand this one. Uh, Sylvie working at McDonald's is wild. <laughs> yeah, that's a weird take. <laughs> I would like to see her and uh, Scott Lang talk about their time working, you know, Baskin Robbins and McDonald's. And... <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I do like the idea that there could be an older version of Sylvie that is recklessly going around like pruning timelines and stuff because she's eventually stepping or she's essentially stepping into the shoes of what Ravona Renslayer was doing of just going around and no, I, I, I need to prune all these, you know, divergent timelines because it can, it, we need to get back to, you know, the, the sacred timeline. And it's just such a departure from what Sophie's character was in the first season to see an older version of her that has been able to think back and in hindsight say, no, I was so fucking wrong. And I need to like correct the wrongs of the past. Yeah. But in doing so, she's actually causing more harm. I think that that's an interesting thread to pull on. I think a a rewatch of season one is going to be necessary. Oh, for sure. Especially because Loki was just, it was one of those rare shows that they did so much more telling you what's going on than just giving you all these bold action scenes. And it had lots of great action scenes. But man, I'm a sucker for a story that they'll just write it in such a way that they can tell you what's going on and have that be riveting. And that's what that last episode of Loki was for me. Uh, final rumor about Loki season two. And this is a, this is one I didn't like reading today. Uh, My Time to Shine Hello says the Squadron Supreme are not in Loki season two. Mm. So there goes. Oh, I was looking forward to that. There goes our chances of seeing Henry Cavill as Hyperion in Loki season two, and he was also rumored to possibly be showing up in Secret Wars. So, uh, if that is true, then our chances of seeing the Squadron Supreme showing up in Loki season two are squashed, and that sucks. Yeah, that's a letdown. That would have been very exciting to see. That's, so that's a real bummer. Yeah. Deadpool 3 rumor, though, from My Time to Shine Hello on Twitter had me super excited. Uh, we had heard the rumor that uh, Deadpool would be interacting with uh, – we know that he's going to be you know, interacting with Mobius. Uh, I don't know if you saw this week, Miss Minutes on Twitter said hello to Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> yes, I saw mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, we knew that he was going to be box, uh, bouncing around throughout the Fox universe. And uh, probably that's w- one of the rumors that are out there that I firmly believe. And, uh, you know, interacting with Fox characters, you know, uh, <laughs> my time to shine. Hello, tweeted Deadpool kills the Fox universe. That's it. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> that would Good. be so much fun. Yeah, that would like, be very basically, satisfying. Like, stretching out what was in the credit scenes of of Deadpool 2 and turning it into a movie where where he's just going on a fucking tear through the Fox universe cleaning up the timeline he's got the TVA after him pissed off for about what he's doing he's got Wolverine pissed off like uh it, it's just there's so much room for a great story and lots of really, really funny, great stuff in that. Well, I mean, a lot of it goes to the credit of like Colin Bunn, who wrote uh, Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe, which is... <laughs> that was a fun book. It's a non-canon story, but, you know, yeah, it's basically Deadpool going around killing the Marvel Universe. So, yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to this movie. If that is true, that sounds like a lot of fun. 
out with the old and with the yeah. new. It'll be fun. It'll be. What do you think? By the end of that movie, are we seeing Deadpool step into the MCU proper? Yes, I think so. Yeah. I, th- I believe probably by the end of that, he'll wipe everything out. He'll somehow find his way into the MCU. One thing it does make me think about is, and this is jumping pretty far ahead in the Marvel uh, MCU timeline, is getting around towards Secret Wars and what that could end up being. I wonder if he's going to kill everybody in the Fox universe or could somebody, could he maybe spare or could some people survive from the Fox universe and they end up popping up in secret wars. I mean, the theory I'm still holding on to turned out to be, we've heard the rumor that Wolverine's showing up as Hugh Jackman. And then also was it Halle Berry as storm? I, there might've been others. I heard ghost Rider Nick cage. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm still holding on to the theory that secret wars is going to end up in some giant multiversal war. That's going to, snatch some people from other universes in and if deadpool's gonna go around and kill the spock universe i wonder is he is he gonna be selective about it or is it just gonna be you know kill it all and if he does kill it all what does that leave what prospects does that leave for anybody possibly popping up in secret wars yeah i can't see him killing like the friends the friends like Colossus. yeah yeah i can't see that Mm -hmm. happening yeah, I mean, yeah, he can go. He can murder Josh Trank's thing for all I care. I don't, I don't need to see that guy come back. But <laughs> <laughs> Daredevil: Born Again news. This is the uh, series coming to Disney Plus with Charlie Cox back in the role. Uh, I think who who dropped this news? I don't know. Pro- I mean, uh, was it Deadline? I don't remember. Yeah, it was Deadline. Uh, Michael Gandolfini joins uh, Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio in Disney Plus series. Uh, he's set for a major role opposite. Uh, this is uh, James Gandolfini's son, who is in uh, the most recent uh, The Many Saints of Newark. He's set for a major role opposite Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio in Daredevil Born Again. Uh, written executive produced by COVID Affairs creators Matt Corman and Chris Ord. The new installment centers on Cox's title character, Daredevil, otherwise known by the name Matt Murdock, who is an attorney by day and crime finder by night. Uh, details on Gandolfini's character are being kept under wraps. It's possible he plays an ambitious guy from Staten Island, referred to as Liam. Grace Randolph says that Michael Gandolfini is playing Kingpin's son. I saw that. I saw that tweet. Mm. I think that's stupid as shit. It's totally stupid as shit. I, I've not seen The Many Saints in Newark, but almost every review I've heard mentioned that that Michael Gandolfini was not that great in it. And so that when I read the news that he's cast as like kind of a big role in Daredevil, I was like, oh, no. Everybody's got a fleet does better. Everybody's got a fucking kid. In Marvel now, Thor's now got a daughter, Hulk's got a kid, or everybody's taking care of somebody else, like fucking, like, I don't know, like now Hawkeye's got his protege, which I love Kate Bishop, and I, you know, I, I, I'm not bitching about that. I don't know, man. We don't, Kingpin's son? Come on. Right. Do we even need a Kingpin's son? Like, we still need 
to establish Kingpin in this MCU. Yes. Don't give a shit about his kid. Oh, it's so fucking dumb. It's so fucking dumb. I'll be disappointed if that's the, the storyline it goes. And, and they'll just have to write that much better of a plot to get me over that hump and accept it and, and go along for the ride. You what, know? Was he raised with Echo? Do they know each other? I don't. This is so fucking stupid. I mean, if he has a pretty minor and insignificant role, like he's just there then I don't mind it, but I hope it does. This isn't a turning into anything. Of if he's his son, I do mind it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Like if he's coming in, it's like, I, uh, I don't know. I guess, I guess I really don't have too much to say about him as an actor because everything, all my opinions of him are, are secondhand. I, I didn't watch that movie. I don't see myself actually ever watching that movie <laughs> so this will likely be the first vehicle i ever see him in yeah yeah i think for me it just depends on how significant the character is like if he's just there as a character for kingpin to interact with which to further develop the kingpin character then it doesn't bother me that much but if he's brought in as like a character to have a a type of significant role where he's interacting with other heroes and such in the mcu then, then yeah, I'm bothered by it. Uh, Grace Randolph, she also said, Bob Chapek was cool with a mature, rated Daredevil born again. Bob Iger, now that he's back, not so much. They're still deciding. We'll see what happens. I do hear it's going to be chock full of awesome Daredevil characters and that Matt Murdock and Kingpin are co- co-leads. So, I don't know. I... Take what she says with a grain of salt, right? Yes, but I, you know, from from Bob Iger's point of view, I don't even understand how this would be a discussion. It is he had Daredevil had the best of all the Netflix series, so why fix something that's not broken? <laughs> I don't know, man. Sorry. You know where I stand. I. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. If 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 they if they nerf this up, you're going to be hate watching it. Yeah, don't shit in my mouth and call it a chocolate Sunday. That's what I say, Joe. <laughs> I don't know. Oh boy, uh, there's a, if that theory. I don't, I don't want to talk about this too much. It's not like this is not a big revelation. I, the, the theory that Sharon Carter's a a scroll is getting more oh, yeah. traction this week. So, yeah, I don't see how that's in doubt. Just seeing how there was such a giant shift in her character between the last time we saw her in the MCU and then in the Falcon and the winter soldier, the, the only satisfiable or the only satisfying explanation is that that's not the Sharon Carter that we knew. That's yeah. a scroll. And she has her mm-hmm. own evil agenda and she's not doing what Sharon would do. She's doing what the scrolls want her to do. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Cuz she was a hero. She was a hero in Winter Soldier. What she yeah. was doing in 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 Falcon and the Winter Soldier was not heroic at all. It was entirely self-serving. Yeah. And it was a, just a complete departure of the character that we got to know. Yeah. And it does feel like quite a large jump for her to be completely turn on everything that she seemingly once stood for just because 
just because she kind of got shafted a little bit by the U.S. government. Yeah, exactly. How do they reveal it? Do we see do we see two Sharons on the screen at the same time? And everybody's like, oh, my God. And then, like, you got two Sharons begging, you know, Anthony Mackie's cap not to harm them. No, I'm the original Sharon held prisoner somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) The original one's like trouble, man. (laughs) Sam's like, you're the real one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let's jump into – that's all I got for Marvel news this week, guys. Um, did I miss anything? Did you guys see anything else? I don't know. Look at me. I'm the shittiest showrunner ever. <laughs> and why do you, you – <laughs> I didn't see anything else. <laughs> all right. I didn't know. Fuck, they might have dropped a new trailer in the time that we've been talking. I need to go check that. You never yeah, know. Let me refresh YouTube real quick. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck? I, I need to look because CCXP, you never know. Oh, no, I don't see anything. Let me know if you see anything, Dre. I don't see shit. Yeah, no, nothing that popped up that I could think of. Yeah. All right. Star Wars news. Joe, let's play the... Do I have the other one? <laughs> yes. Where is it? Do I have it here? Oh, fuck. Don't tell me I don't fucking have it. I don't know if I have it on this one. Oh, shit. I don't think I have it, Joe. I think I might have to play the old one. (laughs) Sometimes that's how it goes. Yeah, brother. Hold on. I want to find it. I can't find it. I'll play the the old one. Crap. You're supposed to be here with me, listening to Pop Culture Leftovers Podcast. That's not true. That's impossible. All right. Uh, news from Yahoo News. Uh, Diego Luna says Andor Season 2 will change your feelings about Rogue One. Season one of the show just ended, and it tracked how a lost but willful person can be completely ro- reprogrammed by the world around him and called to revolution. Season two of the show just began filming with an eye on a likely 2024 release. And in the meantime, Luna talked about how those upcoming episodes might bring new context to the movie that will follow in their footsteps. Quote, that suicide mission in Rogue One, that's for her. That's for Marva. That's for his people. For his community, I love the arc that Tony has built. And the arc ends in Rogue One, not in Season 2. I'm sure it's going to be quite amazing to watch Rogue One after you've seen Season 2. I think you'll see a different film. For sure, you'll understand the character from a different perspective and you'll be with him in a different way. Uh, If you haven't seen Rogue One in a while, we first meet Cassian... As a full-on leader and spy extraordinaire, he learns about what ends up being the Death Star, kills the source, and is off and running. Throughout, he seems not just determined and loyal to the Rebellion, it's life or death to him. All of which means Season 2 is going to see Cassian becoming more and more involved in the Rebellion and more and more disillusioned with the Empire. Uh, they, re- they said, you know, before the, se- the series even came out, that Season 1 spanned one year. 
and that season two will span four years leading up to Rogue One. So I I love these quotes. I love the fact, you know, he's talking about that the suicide mission in Rogue One, that's for her, that's for Marva, that's for his people, that's for his community. That's so cool. And he's saying like, you know, after this, after it ends, when you watch Rogue One, you're going to watch it with a different perspective. And I, you know, I loved Rogue One. I even went back out to the theater and watched it again in IMAX when they did the re-release. And I still love that movie. And to go back and be able to watch it again, uh, you know, from a different perspective, get even more out of it. Uh, if he's right, like if, if season two enhances it, that's incredible. I can't wait. I, I can't wait for season two. Joe, you finished season two, I'm sure. And I mean, I loved it, man. Absolute Tupperware. Oh, yeah. That, that Dude, Andor season one was the best Star Wars thing I've seen outside of the original trilogy. And it's it's nothing like the original trilogy. It doesn't it doesn't match it in tone, it doesn't match it in characters. It is it is a whole a fully different thing. And it's fantastic. The way that it portrays the 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 beginnings of the rebellion and the way that the empire was at that time, the the characters that it has in the show, it's 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 a it's a masterpiece. And I would say just after watching the first season, I think that it would make me watch Rogue One differently in terms of me watching what Andor does. And and it gives me a different understanding of why he's doing that, especially with. The the fact that once you understand the character of Luthen from that first season, you see a lot of what I believe you're going to see a lot of what Andor learns to emulate and just absolutely ruthless characters that are fully committed to the rebellion and they are willing to do whatever it takes to make sure the rebellion succeeds. Even if it is something that is heinous and terrible, if it meets the goal of furthering the rebellion and bringing down the empire, they're willing to do it. I can't wait to see what Tony Gilroy is going to bring us in the second season. What's wild is you got a couple of characters on the side of the empire that are doing the exact same thing that the rebellion's doing. Exactly. In the way that, that season one Andor brings you into those characters and in a way fucking twists you to root for them. And then once you realize that you're rooting for these characters that are fucking terrible, it almost makes you horrified with yourself and it's just a mark of good writing that they were able to manipulate you to where you feel like you're rooting for these characters that you should not fucking be rooting for you yeah. do not want these characters to succeed but they manipulate you into a way that you're like i kind of want to see these people succeed <laughs> it's wild it's i've never had an experience like that um, before I watched Andor, it was something that was wholly unique to that show, and I really commend them for being able to do that. Dre, don't tell me that you're one of these people that didn't like Andor. I have not watched Andor yet. Um, you know what? I bl- you know who I blame? I blame your co-host on Podcast Championship Wrestling, fucking Wayne, <laughs> who's always trashing it on Twitter every fucking time. I fucking I. <laughs> well, you can't fault him for this one because I don't have Twitter. Um, I think my first appearance on PCL was when the original Andor trailer dropped. Yeah. And I think I was pretty lukewarm about it then. 
And then when the first episodes, first like one or two episodes dropped, and the reaction to that was pretty lukewarm as well, I just decided like, okay, I'll just pass on it. But then as the season, you didn't listen to our episodes then because I was sucking this show's dick. I, think, I was I fucking think, doing Cirque du Soleil fucking shit on that yeah, cock. I think you, I think you liked it. I think you were one of the only voices I heard that actually liked it. And then everything else I heard was just kind of mediocre. You're going to trust those other motherfuckers? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, as, as the season progressed, everybody started to love it and really yeah. started to give it you know high marks. So I'm going to go back and watch it at some point. It's just yeah. I haven't watched it yet. Trust me, man. Yeah. For some people and even for you, it might be a slow burn at first. But I'm telling you, like once you get deep into the season, things start fucking moving, man. Things start fucking moving. You get to Andy Circus, That shit's fucking amazing. I'm telling you, like just an incredible fucking season, in my opinion. Joe, you're right. This is like the best start. I put this over. I put this over the Mandalorian a hundred times. Yeah, and that's, it's not to say that lot. the Mandalorian's bad. It, this doesn't diminish the Mandalorian at all. The Mandalorian right. is a it's a wholly different tone and experience than what Andor is. Yeah. And it's cool that Star Wars is such a big and expansive IP that both types of shows can work incredibly well in that space. Yeah. I yeah, oh, Andor's a, a classic slow burner. Mm-hmm. You can almost look at it like a snowball. It starts very it starts kind of slow and it builds and it continues to build and it continues to build and it just keeps turning into this bigger and bigger, bigger snowball until before you know it, it is, it's that fucking boulder from Raiders of the Lost Ark and it's chasing you down and you can't fucking stop from watching the next episode because it's so riveting and so engrossing. Yep. I loved it. Love it sounds like it'll be a great. It sounds like it'll be a good binge watch for me, then. Yeah, yes, it's if, definitely something that'll be good for binging. If you don't like it, I don't want. I don't want to hear about it, Dre. <laughs> <laughs> Keep that shit to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I had a coughing fit there. Hmm. News from Dark Horizons, the Acolyte to be first. Uh, <laughs> 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 this is hard to say. To be first Sith-led series. See, see how that was difficult, Joe? I had to follow. I had to, totally. Yeah, first Sith. <laughs> the Acolyte to be first Sith-led series. <laughs> That's going to challenge anybody with a lisp. It is. Oh, my God. I felt like Cindy Brady there for a moment. <laughs> for you youngsters, Cindy Brady was the youngest child in the Brady Bunch and had a lisp. Who else is famous that has a lisp that I could have used there that these young TikTokers might understand, Joe? Does Mike Tyson have a bit of a lisp? There you go. Yeah, the acolyte to be the first Hitler theory. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to eat your children. Um,. Like a true Sith Lord. Yeah. Logan actress Daphne Keene promises that the upcoming Star Wars spin-off series The Acolyte will be the first Star Wars series led by a Sith. The Sith have been explored in Star Wars media in the past but have never been the full focus of a series before. It's not known which Sith, if any known ones, will be featured in the series. In a recent interview with Tech Radar, 
while out promoting the final season of The Golden Compass, Keen was asked what she can say about the series and responded, I can tease that it's a prequel. No, I mean, as you know, it's set 100 years before the prequel movies, and it's kind of an explanation of how the Sith infiltrated the Jedi. It's a Sith-led story, which has never been done before. Uh, set within the final days of the High Republic era, the Acolyte has been described as a mystery thriller that will take viewers into a galaxy of shadowy secrets and emerging dark side powers. Uh, the series is being written and executive produced by Leslie Headland from Russian Doll, who will also be serving as the showrunner. So, I don't know. Exciting news. Daphne Keene in Star Wars. Sith-led series. Could be great. Could be terrible. I don't know. I'm going to hold out and watch this one. Uh, I love uh, what Leslie Headland has done with Russian Doll. I don't think that that's a gauge on what she can do with this show. They're so different. Yeah, so, totally. Yeah, so that, that's that's really hard to gauge. But uh, I'm not saying that, oh, she can only do Groundhog Day type stories. No, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see her like fucking uh, cut her teeth here on Star Wars, though, and see what she can do. Could be. I know everybody's going to want to speculate about which Sith is. Could this show focus on which one? Are they going to? Is it going to be a noteworthy Sith from the lore, or are yeah. they going to come up with some original one? My mind kind of immediately jumped to just because they had a Star Wars marathon on TV earlier today, and I was watching episode two. My mind jumped to uh, what was it? I think Plagueis the Wise, or the Dark one that uh, yeah, the one that uh, Palpatine when he tells the story to Anakin about how he was so powerful he could cheat death or save his others i wonder if that could possibly be the one but I obviously d- we'll i find don't out whenever they do it i don't want that to be honest with you and, and the reason i'm saying that is because like we're so like everybody's like let's get away from the skywalkers can we get away from the skywalkers and it's like i think even with and i'm i'm kind of in that camp as well but it, even with that uh, even tying this in with Plagueis is still kind of like tying it in with stuff that we already kind of like know a little bit about. And I think like you're treading, uh, treading dangerously. If you get into, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think yeah, you why can even get tangential to stuff that yeah, we know. Yeah. You can have way more wholly new, something new yeah. where you can have total freedom, right? You don't have to right. worry about, you know, uh, completely detach yourself from everything that we know. So that way you have the freedom to tell whatever yeah. story you want. Exactly. Yeah. I love Daphne Keene. That's cool. Yeah. Oh, she was so good in Logan. I'm so excited to see her in this. And, man, if she's playing a Sith, I I can't wait to see what she's going to do with it. Yeah. That's all I got, guys. Oh, nice. Yeah. Ooh. That is all I have. Um, Next week, Jake will be back. What do I have on the show next week? Yeah, that raccoon fucking movie. Um, uh, let's see here. A movie called Spoiler Alert. A janitor. We talked about that. Oh, uh, Spoiler Alert looks like a real tearjerker. Yeah, too. it does. Uh, Wednesday, the Netflix series. Uh, late. Huh. I'm late on I've that. I've watched I, that twice. I haven't seen any of it. I've heard great things, so that's yeah, why I put I've it seen on. the first episode. What'd you think, Dre? The first episode? I like the first episode. Um, one thing I'll definitely say, Jenna Ortega as Wednesday, she nails this freaking role. Yeah, fuck yeah, she does. So she is excellent in it. Um, 
I'm a little less high on Luis Guzman as Gomez and Captain Zeta Jones as Morticia. A little less high on them, but I'm also probably comparing them to the beloved 90s movies with Raul Julia and, you know, Angelica Houston. Um, but the first episode was interesting enough that I'm definitely going to go back and um, finish the season out. I, I'm pretty sure that they're only in two episodes also of the eight. Um, that would, uh, my, my yeah. wife and I binged it last Saturday. We watched all of it. We planned on just watching the first episode and we're like, let's just keep this train going. And we watched all eight. And then throughout the week, we rewatched it again with the kids and the kids absolutely loved it too. Yeah. I'm looking forward to watching it. I've heard nothing but good things. I, I don't, I don't even no. I, I haven't even watched a trailer. I've just seen yeah. like Twitter blowing up about it. So. It's it's really really fun. Yeah, Tim oh. Burton directed the first four episodes of it too. That's cool. What's the other thing I'm going to be talking about? Oh, uh, <laughs> my mom told me to watch this Killer Sally on Netflix. I guess it's about a female wrestler. It's like a documentary uh, female wrestler that murdered her husband or some shit. I don't know. We'll f- I'll, we'll talk about it next week. Anyway, <laughs> I. I I saw the trailer for it and I was like, well, that's interesting. Like a docu-series thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a docu-series. So as always, Joe, you're fucking awesome. (laughs) You're too kind. (laughs) I always have the best time recording PCL with you, dude. That's how you go out with high energy at the end of the episode. You start it high. (laughs) You end it high. You don't fucking peter out at the end of the episode like I did last week. I petered out like a little bitch last week, dude. <laughs> I was tired was as fun f- episode. That fucking weird voice you kept doing, dude. I was laughing my ass off. Oh, Mr. Woodchuck. <laughs> dude, I petered the fuck out though last week. I was tired as shit when we got done. I just, I fucking, I, I, I left that episode with a whimper. <laughs> You should add some coffee or something. Yeah. No, then I'll never get the fucking sleep. (laughs) No, that is true, dude. I've reached the age where I can't have afternoon coffees and Red Bulls and stuff anymore. I play a dangerous game when I do that. Yeah. I've never had a drink of coffee in my life. Really? Really? I've had coffee. I'll say I won't say never. I had one sip as a child. I had a traumatic experience, and it turned me off to coffee as a kid. <laughs> guy doesn't fucking watch Andor. Die. Guy doesn't drink coffee. What the fuck? I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> traumatic experience drinking coffee? Yeah, it was um, – my mom drank coffee a lot, and she still does to this day. And I'm pretty sure that as a child, she drank it um, straight black. So as a kid, I knew coffee and tea were two different things but didn't – really know that they were two different things so my mom had a cup of coffee on the table and i saw it and i was like mom can i have a sip of your coffee she's like you know that's not the same thing as tea right and i was like yeah sure i know not really knowing and then i took a sip of it and it was the worst thing i had ever tasted in my life (laughs) and ain't never touched it since and coffee like if you drink coffee black that's got to be an acquired taste right it is without a doubt an acquired taste. I don't think there's been a person in the history of the world that took a sip of black coffee for the first time in their life and was like, this is the shit. Uh, maybe Juan Valdez. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? When it, when it, you know, I think when that guy fucking first like you know took a trip with his fucking donkey up into the mountains of Colombia and walked down and grinded those fuckers and drank it, he probably loved it like out of the out of the gate. But everybody else, that's got to be an acquired taste. I can't drink straight black coffee. It just tastes no. like fucking dirt. And everybody, you know, and uh, there's a lot of people that do, and they they love. I like I like my black, and it's like what the fuck, man. I gotta put one cream and one sugar in it at minimum. I cannot do fucking straight black coffee. I don't even use sugar. I use like a sweetener. Yeah, I'm sure she doesn't drink it that way anymore, but she may have back then, and it fucked me up for life. Yeah. Oh man, Dre. I'm sorry. Get yourself a fucking Starbucks Frappuccino, man. That's where it's at. <laughs> Something a nice cup of coffee that's got maybe three hundred calories in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dre, where can oh Joe, where can people find you, man? Did did you already go over that? I don't remember. Uh no, I have not. Uh you can find me on Startcast. It is a long-form conversation show. I do having conversations with people every week. New episodes drop on Saturdays. Tell me about your latest fucking episode. Because now that you've told me about this podcast, I'm curious, like, who is your latest guest? And what was what did it entail, Joe? <laughs> uh, last week, I had Rebecca Daling on, and that was delightful. We had a really fun conversation. I think I talked with her for... Oh, geez. I think it was well over two hours. It, it was great. And then I have got uh, Josh Haywood scheduled for the next one. He's the host of the Morally Flexible podcast. And so I'm looking forward to talking pop culture and and scotch and whatnot with Josh. <laughs> Man, ah, I, was thinking, I was thinking Cirque du Soleil again. I was thinking sexually flexible. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Anyway, hey Dre, um, what do you do, man? Sorry, I'm gonna get back. Um, to, I'm, you talk about that. I'm gonna think about this Cirque du Soleil blowjob. You enjoy that. Um, outside of um, sporadic appearances here, you can catch me on Podcast Championship Wrestling, where myself, Wayne, and other guests talk about the latest ongoings in the world of professional wrestling. We give predictions for pay per views. Every now and then, we take a retrospective look back in an old pay-per-view of the past and review it there you go check it out podcast championship wrestling with his co-host wayne who doesn't like andor jesus christ did you finish it wayne or did you watch two episodes and stop did you watch the full <laughs> fucking thing <laughs> next time i get him on it yeah wayne i'm gonna berate you next time i'm not gonna let your tweets go un unchallenged sir he he fucking ranked it fucking lower than Book of Boba Fett. Oh, that's oh wow! You, yeah. you gotta watch the whole series before you can fully rank it. Uh, if you watched the back half of Ander and you didn't like it, I question what the fuck is wrong with you. Yeah, if you only watched the first two or three episodes and you're like, "This isn't for me." I'm tapping out. You gotta go back and give it another chance and watch more of it. Yeah, and if you it didn't, it's one of those things that builds steam as it goes. Yeah, but even those people that went back and watched it and didn't like it, fuck you. <laughs> I fully don't understand what they were seeing if they watched if they watched all 12 episodes and they were like no this sucked. I'm like what the fuck? What do you think is good then? Yeah. What the fuck? Man, it's all subjective. Until you don't like Andor, you stupid fuck. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right, guys. And until next week, I'm putting the lid on it. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. Congratulations. I don't know how you did it. I couldn't do it. You people need a T-shirt saying, I just listened to two hours of nonsensical crap. Anyway, if you'd like to reach the Pop Culture Leftovers cast, you can email them at comments at popcultureleftovers.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at PC Leftovers or like their Facebook page. They'd love to hear from you. They're all pretty sad and lonely. One of them is homeless, but I didn't say that. Already like 7 million podcasts Talking about pop culture and all that Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat But it's all been done before and we don't want to be a copycat We're the leftovers picking up the scraps Dropped by the cool kids it, it, It's a trap Good it, toss it, good it, taste it Do we love it? Hey, let's race it, clean it, race it Let's embrace the Tupperware party Subculture spill over like a vulture Carry over, counterculture, pushovers Pop culture Leftovers And we Cool kids, what's to say's already been said. Leftover, pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers, podcasts that are original and good have already been done before, so we should separate the wheat from the shaft and the shaft the crap, even though we're the shit. Woo! We're the leftovers picking up the scraps Dropped by the cool kids it, it, It's a trap Good and toss it, good and taste Do we love it? Hey, let's face it, can't erase it Let's embrace the Tupperware party Subculture spill over like a vulture Carryover, counterculture, pushover Pop culture Leftovers And with the uncool kids What's to say has already been said Leftovers Pretty sure that the only talent Is the band that's singing this Pop culture leftovers Do we love it? Hey, let's face it, can't erase it. Let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture. Carry over counterculture, pushovers, pop culture. Leftovers. And with the uncool kids, what's to say has already been said. Leftovers. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers.